Hello everyone, welcome to episode 37 of Realm and Ruin, a Warhammer podcast. A podcast that is so Warhammer, we sleep on beds made of codexes with pillows stuffed with battle tomes. <laughs> I'm your host, Matt, and joining me as always, a guy who has a Helm Mechanicum on his birthday list, it's Cameron. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing fantastic. I can't wait to be subservient to a greater power again. It's going to be excellent. Um, and yeah, <laughs> you, you, how do, how do you know what I sleep on? I haven't, I haven't slept comfortably in years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it's every time we record and I say, how you doing? And you go, Oh, yeah, my back's going again. Yeah. It's, you know, it's because I've been teaching violin and it's like, nah, mate, it's not nah. that. It's like, it's those nah. codexes digging into your back. <laughs> Look, it's because of all the recent, Space Marine Codex supplements, there's been several more corners and edges added to my horde of tomes that I sleep on top of, and it's quite uncomfortable. I'd like them to stop. <laughs> well, actually, judging by the size of the latest Space Marines Codex, that, that's all you need. That's just one mattress in itself is, is thick enough. <laughs> I did actually use it as a pillow at one point earlier in the week, so I can't contest that. See, <laughs> <laughs> so you're just getting our money's worth. Yeah, exactly. I've got to pay good money for these books. I'll use them hell right damn well, please. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, silliness already. Cool. Right. Mm -hmm. Episode 37. Right. What's in store for today? And just say we're recording on the 29th of September 2019 because I just thought I'll start adding in the date really because Mm. I suppose because by the time we the episode goes out there's usually a sort of four or five day gap and I thought sometimes if you end up listening and presume we've record released it the same day we recorded and you think hang Uh, on you've missed this bit of news so I'll start slipping the date in so you can sort of see why (laughs) we may even though we do know about the future sometimes because we have this knack of predicting the future we may not know everything (laughs) and there's reasons why (laughs) so uh, episode 37 so after we've covered obviously our hobby stuff and what's been going on the news our main topic today will be commander farsight and all the shenanigans he's been up to over the years and then for our discussion topic in the aos universe we're going to basically talk about should they overhaul the seraphon law in the future and obviously our thoughts on that as well mm. uh right okay before we get stuck into the main part of the show uh, a few little bits of admin um as always in the show notes you can see all the ways you can contact us support us and give us reviews and all that sort of jazz so that's all down there and uh, it's a nice little bit of exciting news. Uh, we've been contacted by Davis Ford. Uh, he's the guy who created AOS Reminders. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a lovely little tool that you can use on the internet free of charge, which basically allows you to, from an AOS perspective, obviously allows you to basically plan out your army in the sense of like phases and you can use, you know, it gives you reminders basically when you can use certain things at certain times in the game. It's an mm. extremely handy tool. So uh, he'll be joining us. Um, we're recording with him next weekend, I believe. Um, mm. So look out for that in the future. Um, I think it'll be basically one of those situations. If we talk for a long time, we'll make it its own little spin off episode. If it's quite a short chat, then we'll just in, you know, integrate it into a, an upcoming episode. We'll see. It depends how long we talk for. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so we'll that's see. all very exciting. <laughs> um, and next episode as well, official episode is uh, hopefully Dan should still be joining us to talk about obviously the new space marine stuff, which is all mm. very exciting indeed. Uh, right. And 
Also, lastly, as always, you can join our gorgeous, sexy, lovely Discord server <laughs> if you ever want to, uh, where there's some great, amazing people on there. Always free to join. Uh, link is obviously down in the description. And if you come and join us on there, you can ask us a question. And this is this episode's question. This comes from Smells Like Zero Spirit, and he says, Behind-the-scenes podcasting question. Do you guys ever aside from the editing process, listen to your own podcasts or do your partners <laughs> listen to yours? <laughs> um, well, there are mm. some answers here. Uh, I was listening to our podcast about 10 minutes ago uh, because wow. I have a horrific memory issues at times, especially when it's <laughs> a Sunday, not a Saturday, and I'm already worn out from a full weekend. Uh, so I couldn't remember what I talked about in my hobby section last week. So I was just re-listening to that earlier to jog the memory so i knew what to talk about today um i do actually listen to our podcasts uh mostly i I do a lot of podcast listening listening to like background noise stuff basically like you know i'm doing something in my hands i need something to distract Mm. my brain or i'm just driving and the podcast app puts on our show when it finishes a different show's episode i'm like okay i'm listening to this now um i don't always pay full attention but it's nice um (laughs) It's nice. To, Hopefully, it's this nice. is not the same. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's nice. It's nice to hear your voice, Matt. Just it feels like you're there with no. Um, but yeah, it, it's good to sometimes listen back to what I've talked about before, and especially if you're listening to an earlier episode, see how my thoughts on things have changed. Is always fun. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron has listened to precisely one episode of a podcast I have recorded, and it is the episode of Monster Dear Monster where I was attacked throughout the episode by a cockroach. Uh, <laughs> <Say> <laughs> <no> apparently, <laughs> apparently, apparently, everyone list everyone I know listened to that episode because because <laughs> <laughs> nice. terrible things happen to me around cockroaches and they enjoy my suffering. Um, but as far as I know, she does. She has not listened to other episodes of my shows. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, that's what I expected. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I mm. suppose to answer it myself. I well, I'm the I'm the guy that does the editing out of the two mm. of us. So I, yeah, I mean, I I sort of get to the point now where I don't listen to it as much because I edit it every week. Yeah. And you know, sometimes you don't want to keep hearing your own voice all the time. You do <laughs> get a bit complex. So I I used to for a period. I used to listen to putting aside, you know, again pushing editing aside. I did mm. used to listen to our show fairly often, where I would listen to most episodes yeah. back. But I don't anymore because. Primarily, I used to listen back because of, a, I suppose, from a perspective of self-improvement, really. You know, so, right, mm. right, you know, how can I do do things better? And I I'm, I think it gets to the point now where you, you, you can so overthink it. It's, it's It got to the point where I was like, no, I'm not going to listen to myself anymore. I'm just going to come on, relax, and be how I am. And that's sort of it, really, rather than sort of mm. looking back and go, oh, why did I say that? Or, well, I could have said that a bit better. And I... I yeah, I've sort of now got to the yeah. point now. I go, no, I don't listen back. Um, I do listen again from a technical side. I, 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 when it goes up on the internet and I listen to it, obviously mm. when it hits sort of a podcast player side of things, I do listen to it for, you know, first sort of couple of minutes just to make sure. Well, mainly yeah. to I've actually uploaded the right episode because obviously <laughs> it's so easy to sort of when you're, you're doing all mm. the, you know, get, go into, into sort of autopilot, you know, getting the episode up. I do make sure I, 
I have actually uploaded this, the right episode, not like this, the mm. one before <laughs> again. And people yeah, are wait a yeah. minute. We've listened to this one already. <laughs> um, and when on the other podcasts I've been on, um, which is obviously when I was on Monster and Monster with yourself, Cameron and mm. uh, Dark Insight, when I was on part of that as well. Uh, it, it, same. I used to listen more to those probably because I wasn't really at part of the editing side of that. So I felt a bit more comfortable listening back to it. Whereas, again, I think when you're the main editor, you do sort of <laughs> want to switch <laughs> off from it. Otherwise, you just have hours of just listening yeah. to your own voice. Yeah, that's so, um, uh In regard to my wife listening to it, um, she's listened to bits before, um, more just from a curiosity point of view. But the thing is, she doesn't really have much interest in Warhammer and mm. things like that. So, to be fair to her, I wouldn't expect her to because... I wouldn't want to put her through it really. <laughs> she won't get any of the any of the jokes and things like that. So no, she. Uh, but some of my other fa- family members, like my mum, my mother-in-law, have listened mm. again just to just so I can go. This is what a podcast is because obviously, yeah. some people don't know what that is. So it's yeah. like, yes, this is a podcast. Listen to me for ten seconds, and then you know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah. So yeah, that's the, that's the answer for myself. Uh, good mm. question, actually. Like I said, it's nice yeah. to answer something that's not directly warhammer as well <laughs> so uh, thank you sir for that one right okay let's get stuck into the hobby stuff now you've caught up with what you've been doing and what you've been telling people last episode cameron <laughs> what have you been doing since then uh well i'm actually going to start with what i've bought uh and first off i bought the space marines codex because honestly it's something you probably should own if you own any space marines and i have lots of space marine models i just haven't really done anything with them yet um <laughs> Uh, and, you know, I'm interested in it. I like the, the building successor chapter tactics kind of element and stuff. There's lots of interesting stuff in there. And, of course, we're covering it on our next episode with Dan. So that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, had a, I've had a bit of a read of it, not read through the whole thing, obviously, because there's, there's a lot of book there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is um, it is terrifying to think of just how many units are in the Space Marine Army. <laughs> <laughs> because it's crazy isn't it we it yeah really we thought is. we thought the orc codex was big um <laughs> it's, it's not that big yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah no it's been enjoyable thus far i like some of the extra info on the primaris stuff uh which i'll talk about more next episode so lots of cool stuff going on there uh, i also bought beast grave because i said i was Wee. going to and it's very cool and i've enjoyed the warhammer underworlds very much that i've played thus far and i really want to get into this season uh in particular as we'll talk about later all the upcoming warbands look incredible (laughs) and just some of my my favorite ideas and factions and concepts sort of being brought together in this season so i've got to get in there um and with beastgrave i've read through the rule book uh there's plenty of cool little tidbits of lore in there i actually really like the shift in setting from like Shade Spire, which is just this cursed, sad mirror dimension city, into this really actively hostile environment. Like Shade Spire is just a trap, but Beastgrave is like its own predator that is tr- trying to kill you as you search through it for treasure and information and stuff like that. Like there's, there's all these all these mentions of like the teeth grinding in the darkness of the like these granite jaws of the mountain like it drips acid constantly and stuff like that it's great it's got great characterization um interesting lore stuff um people lived in this mountain before the age of chaos they were called the silent people they had an insectile appearance and that's all we know about them so i'm calling it gene stealer cult is coming to age of sigma 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably not, but I, I, I like that it's got this mythos built around it that is separate from the Shadespire mythos that was used for Shadespire and Night Vault. Um, and, of course, it is connected to Shadespire and Night Vault because all those characters are crossing over because... Uh, the Cataphrane curse is spreading not just to Gur, but apparently across all the realms. So nice. I'm guessing that for future seasons, we probably won't get... Because we got Shadespire, then Night Vault. They're both set in the same place in Shadespire, the Mirrored City. I'm pretty sure. Um, I didn't actually get Night Vault, so I'm not 100% on that, but I feel that is <laughs> correct. Um, I have a feeling that season four of Warhammer Underworlds won't be like Beast Grave Part Two, like Night Vault was Part Two of Shadespire. I feel it will be yeah. a different realm, and I cannot okay. wait for like the Action version of Warhammer Underworlds or the Shaman version of Warhammer Underworlds, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh yes, like there, there's going to be some cool stuff in future, but you know we've got like a year at least before all that, so all well and good. Um, I have put together both warbands. The Beastmen were a dream. They're beautiful. They're simple. They go together no problem. The Kurnothi are beautiful. They are fiddly as hell, <laughs> but I got them <laughs> together. Um, it, it, I think it's mostly me having big clumsy fingers. Doesn't help too much. Uh, but, it's those orc-like fingers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's just the Kurnothi have a lot more of those delicate attachment points. Like, you know, they're usually resting on just one foot, whereas all the Beastmen have both feet firmly planted in the ground which makes things much easier that you eh, i got them i got them there it took a little work but <laughs> they're done and these are all still push fit so if you're not like me who is a terrible terrible person sees a push fit miniature cuts all the pegs off and glues things together uh these should be easier to assemble so don't take my word on that um but the models are gorgeous like mm -hmm. i cannot i cannot overstate how good the design process for underworld's warbands has gotten there there are things like that there is a model where it is the 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 back and legs then the left side of the torso and then it is just the right arm and the right pectoral muscle is the final piece that just slots in perfectly and the seam disappears in between the muscle lines i don't know how that works but it's incredible it's beautiful um they look like they'll be a lot of fun to paint so i'll probably do that soonish uh, because it's also gotten me get gotten me to get my uh, Zarbags gits out of storage, so I need to paint them up as well, <laughs> uh, because they'll still be valid, and I'm looking forward to running around with a horde of goblins in Beastgrave uh, before <laughs> I can get goblins on walls. Um, yeah, so that's been fun. Uh, on the Chaos Knight Desecrator, uh, I have completely primed it now. The top carapace and left arm are primed. The left arm is 95% done. It's pretty close to being done. Uh, the carapace is probably 50%. I've still got to do like all the trim. I've got to lay down a proper base coat, do all the detailing, all that. Uh, but it is, it is creeping ever steadily towards completion. Uh, I have now also started the school holiday, so I won't be teaching for a couple of weeks. So I will actually have time. So first thing tomorrow morning, Erin's heading off on a day trip. She's going to go hang out down south go to the beach have a good time i'm gonna stay home and paint that's um, right that's it yeah yeah like a true hobbyist that's it don't Listen. go out and socialize and and see real weather <laughs> stay inside and no paint models. god awful <laughs> i don't i don't want to drive for two and a half hours to go see a small town. no fair point uh but no yeah, i'm gonna stay home i'm gonna paint hopefully i can knock that out this week uh because yeah it, it's all coming together um i'm pretty happy with it so far it's 
Knights are really good kits, is what I will say. Mm-hmm. They are mm, delicious. Um, <laughs> speaking speaking of knights are delicious. Uh, I had a I had a terrible fiendish urge earlier in the week to buy a knight castigator. I didn't. I restrained myself. <laughs> good, but I saw one cheap secondhand on eBay. I was like, mm, mm. Ooh. <laughs> I went. I still haven't finished this night. I can't buy another night. Rain yourself in. What can I do to distract myself? I've got a second armiger in the box, ready to be assembled. Let's build that really quickly and sate the <laughs> horrific gremlin that lives in my brain and urges me to buy bigger and better models. Um. <laughs> uh, so with the with the first armiger I built, I went pretty bog standard with it for the most part. Like I assembled the legs as instructed, I put them on as instructed. Everything is standard except I've switched out the head and put a few bits of ornamentation on. Uh, for this one, I completely reposed the legs. It is in a super like low to the ground, legs stretched forwards and backwards sprinting pose, which I'm actually very happy with. Um, I also completely cut the pilot hatch out because I'm going to have a chained up pox walker trying to burst out of there as the pilot <laughs> uh, to explain its like super aggressive posing. Um, and da, 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 what else did I do to it? Oh, yeah, I did something awful, which is I took the completed arms off the first armiger I did and stuck them backwards on this armiger for a photo. And I made the Naruto running armiger. Uh, because uh, the the quote-unquote raid on Area 51 happened last week and I felt it was appropriate in a moment of fiendish peak. Um, yeah, no. Uh, Armagers are really nice. Uh, they are a little fiddlier to repose in the leg department than a full-size knight, I think. Just like it's easier to do the cutting, but they're way more delicate, so you've got to be careful. Um, but I managed it without too much trouble, and... I'm pretty happy with how it looks, and yeah, there's, there's, that's another armiger like 45% built. I've still got to do the arms. Lovely. I've got to work out the interior of the things, and then on the first armiger, I finished up all the armor plating. It is, I'm happy to say, 100% ready to be primed and painted, so when I finish the desecrator, I'll start painting that one and finish <laughs> building the second armiger, and at that point, it'll all be worked out. I've written up a 2,000-point Chaos Knights list. All I need is a castigator and another knight despoiler with melee weapons. So <laughs> that'll be like, I'll finish that in like a year or two, I think. Yeah. Long-term, yeah. long-term goals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that is mostly what I've done. I, I did a little more work on Somber Mines, Pop Funko Marine. It's still going, buddy. It'll come up sooner <laughs> or later, I swear. I've got time to finish it, so I'm, it'll probably... Probably be done in the next couple of weeks and on its way to you. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that holds up. No promises. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's fun. Again, painting a lot of big flat panels is interesting. Uh, but I'm I'm getting getting to grips with it. Uh, and yeah, um, that that's more or less it. If I remember correctly, I haven't done any cool. extra reading. I haven't done any one of video games. Yes. No, that's it. That's it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Memories back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. finally caught up. <laughs> <clears throat> cool. Very cool indeed. Uh, right. What have I been up to? Uh, so, all right, I'll start with buying. Um, I have bought the Space Marine Codex as well. 
for Ooh, for okay. same reasons as you. I'm a copycat. Mm. I've copied you because <laughs> we. I want to read up on it, and we're going to be covering bits of it next episode. So yes, I've got that ready. Uh, I've not okay. slept on mine. I haven't even un, <laughs> you know unravelled mine yet from the cellophane because <laughs> I haven't had chance. But you know. Mm. Uh, I will get around to it, obviously, <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Um, uh, also, in the same uh, order, uh, I got the Book of Judgment, the Necromunda mm-hmm. sort of latest Lovely. book that was, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that alchemists were kind enough to give towards the show because uh, one day when we uh, in the future cover, ne- <laughs> cover Necromunda and the up to date law. So again, that's something mm. I'm going to get stuck into hopefully quite shortly. Um, also, um, the, la- the other things I bought, which sort of ties into actually my hobby stuff as well, as in what I've been building, because mm. hopefully now <laughs> I've got a bit more time on my hands because I've now moved house, my daughter's first birthday and <laughs> is out <laughs> the way, um, Black Library submission is out the way, which we you forgot to talk about as well, which we'll, oh. <laughs> we'll talk about in a minute. Damn it. <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> There's always something. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, with these things out of the way, and obviously I'm aiming to, you know, carry on my custodies for when I play at Warhammer World in November. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to do some Grey Knights as well, because to be fair, Mm. it's about the same amount of models. We're talking about 12, 13 models. So my plan is because I've always wanted to do some in the same sort of scheme that I'm going to do my custodies. So that sort of bluish um, sort of silver type thing. And so I've for, for a bit of variation um, and also just to get back into doing some hobby stuff after the house move, um, I've been building some Grey Knights. So I've mm. uh, built a Paladin Apothecary with a big mm-hmm. demon hammer and he looks gorgeous. I've built a uh, Paladin Ancient, which is the banner boy. And again, mm-hmm. he's got a very large banner. Uh, bigger than I thought it was going to be. He uh, b- much bigger than the Custodes one. Uh, puts him to shame, to be honest. Um, even though it's not a competition, stop comparing sizes. Um, <laughs> so I've been building those recently, um, and I'm about halfway through a five-man interceptor squad as well. Um, I have to deviate a bit slightly from it because my original plan with them is to give them all dual falchions because mm. dual blades, as well as being good on the tabletop is just cool in general, you know? I yeah, don't yeah. see anything wrong with ever having two swords. <laughs> but <laughs> um, unfortunately, with the the kit, I'm, I mean, I've got the five-man kit. Uh, it comes with three pairs. So you're like, oh, okay, right, so I need to find two mm. other pairs. Luckily, my work colleague and friend Martin, he was good enough to donate me um, some spare bits that he had from a strike squad, obviously from years ago. And I was like, great. I mm. quickly looked at him thought, great, there's a couple of pairs on that. I'm sorted. Um Problem was, uh, <laughs> without really noticing it, they. It turns out that obviously when he used the sprues years ago, he didn't use the the sort of parts uh, uniformly in the sense that mm. I've now got. Uh, I think it's four left hands and six right hands. <laughs> so I'm like, oh no, oh boy, <laughs> and, you know, and you know when you're running through your head thinking, right, okay, let's look on eBay. eBay either doesn't have them or they're just stupidly mm. expensive. I was like, mm. right, okay, let's look at the Terminator uh, falchions. Uh, no, they're a bit too big. It would look a bit odd, especially yeah. with the yeah. the hand. And right, okay, so basically now I'm down to two options. Uh, 
it's whether I want to go the fiddly or non-fiddly option. Fiddly option <laughs> is obviously cutting off, it off, finding another left hand, putting that on. And I was like, mm. I don't know if I can be bothered to do that. So I think I'm just going to play it safe and probably give the Justicar, i.e. the sergeant of the yeah. Five Man Squad, I'll just give him a different weapon. I'll probably okay. give him a, a Force Halberd instead. Yeah. And yeah. he comes with two attacks. The others have one. Obviously, Falchion's mm. give him an extra attack. So he'll be sort of level with them if I give him a, a Halberd instead. Yeah. So yeah, All I'm right. probably just going to do that. I've got four pairs. The four, yeah. the four non-justicars can have it. So yeah, that is what I'm going to do probably. <laughs> so I will get enough. back to uh, building them. Uh, and there's, uh, to be honest, considering they're older kits now compared to obviously some of the newer stuff, like the the custodies ones, mm. um, they're really nice still. I'm not having no, to do much good. with them. Like mold, you yeah. know, from like a mold line and uh, perspective, they build pretty well, to be honest. Uh, mm. And also, I was saying, I was actually saying to Martin as well that they 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 build in a nice way in the sense that one thing I've never sort of really understood, and I presume it's just purely down to the way they plan a sprue, is that what I get a bit frustrated about about sometimes is when say you say you're doing the legs, for example, mm. uh, again with the grey knights it's it's a whole lower torso and that's it like great one piece you know clean it up ready like you do the custodies for example and Mm. you've got one and a half legs and one of their shins and fit foot is another piece and you're thinking oh that's just another piece to have to prep and clean and Mm. and you know and and i mean it's not the end of the world don't get me wrong it's just like oh well that's it's it's i like pieces when it adds variation it's like well you could have this piece because you could whether you could give it this piece if you wanted or you don't or you could put it somewhere else mm. it's just when it's ne- like needless pieces and you what this could have just been one <laughs> just one pair of legs mm. not one and a half plus the other half the other half is another piece but I'm just moaning about first world problems here. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's what I've been building. So yeah, they're getting there. So I think off the top of my head, my, my, my plan for the uh, Grey Knights is basically I'm going to build 1,000 Custodies, 1,000 Grey Knights, mm. and then I can choose between and basically paint them at the same time because, again, they'll be having the same scheme. So my 1,000 points off the top of my head is I've already got Voldus, built mm. from a while ago so he'll be there i bought a dread knight so i'm going to do a grandmaster in a nemesis um dread knight because mm-hmm. well it's one of their best units and they need <laughs> all the help they can get so i've got him Fair. ready um <laughs> and then like i said i've got a five-man intercept squad i've got a, a ancient and apothecary and then i think and then i've just ordered another box of paladins and i think plus the spares i've got I, i'm going to do like a six or a seven man paladin squad mm. so it'd be an odd number but it's literally just because of <laughs> the points that are left <laughs> again like custodians yeah. gray knights you don't have much room <laughs> to be honest you don't mm. have much wiggle mm. room what i may do going forward is because i think if i've done my maths correctly i'll have a, another paladin or so hanging around is i mm. may kitbash um caldor drago because i've got caldor nice. drago up in the loft but he's fine cast and I'd rather mm. burn him than uh, build him. <laughs> so I, I'm going to. I've seen a few cool things where people are using like the shield and and sword from Custodes to make it the Titan sword and things like that. Mm. So that's my sort of aim eventually, Bill. Whenever I find mm-hmm. the time to do it. So, so that's uh, that's been my sort of what I've been building. Um, uh, right, reading wise, I have read a couple of well, listened to a couple of audio books. I have done rites of passage by mm-hmm. mike brooks very good 
Very good. Um, it's a book that has come out recently. It's basically focusing on the navigator houses and the politics and their procedures, their rivalries. Um, like a planet goes missing, which is always, okay. always cool. Um, it's, if you, if you're familiar with Mike Brooks, he's written in recent times Wanted Dead, which is one of these, mm, the, um, yeah. Necromunda novella from the novella series mm-hmm. one and what i like about his writing and it comes across in rites of passage is it's very when i say normal it's not trying to be mm. uh, over the top it's like the characters are quite normal they swear for example yeah you know it's, it's, yeah. it's normal not very bombastic you know over the top scenes we're like come on just get on with it no everyone's like everyone's relatable in some sort of sense really um, and I thoroughly recommend it. And I think I said on our discord is I would put it in the must read category for current 40 K. I think primarily yeah. because it's just good to see a different perspective. That's not space Marines and, and everything else It's about the navigator houses, which often get a bit neglected in, mm. in, you know, in the grand scheme of things. So, but it relates to it, you know, you about the great rift and things like that. So, and it's not massive. I think, well, audio wise, it's about eight or nine hours, which is, quite you know it's quite um short comparatively yeah. some of the other novels so i i would thoroughly get on it definitely definitely get on rites of passage um i've then also listened to part two of realm slayer which is blood of the old world by obviously mm-hmm. featuring mr brian blessed and obviously all the <laughs> other voice actors that they use for their other audiobooks Again, fantastic. I would say it's arguably better than the first one, and the first one was really good. And you have to really have you know done the first one, arguably. Um, there's also links to Bone Desert. That's the one, isn't mm-hmm. it? Bone Desert. Again, yeah. that novella yeah. that uh, Robbie McNiven wrote. Again, you there's a certain... Well, <laughs> it's not really overly spoiling things, but he, he, he's basically going around with a, a daughter of Cain. And yeah. again, it relates yeah. to, to that side of things. And that's obviously one of the main characters in this part too. So again, if you, if you really enjoyed the first one, you'll definitely enjoy this second one. And if you've not listened to either of them, I thoroughly recommend it. Uh, you know, as someone that doesn't have much background in Got Trek in general, mm. uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And Brian Blessed, that's a reset. Uh, Brian Blessed is uh, is just made to be Got Trek. He really is, oh, and, yeah. and you know, you've got again, it's about spoiling things as such. You got Seraphon in there. You've got you, you know, you've got a lot Sylvaneth. You've got some very cool characters in there as well. So I mm. yeah, thoroughly recommend it. And uh, lastly, I have started. Uh, audio-wise, The Great Work, which is that new Belisarius Call novel, uh, which yeah. I'm about 45 minutes into. I need to get back on that. And so far, it's sounding really good, but I, I, it's too early to uh, mm-hmm. to comment. Um, also, the mm-hmm. last thing, actually, is that I did give up on Knights of McCrag, which is the one that I think, yeah. I think the last couple of episodes I've said I've been listening to. Uh, I tried. I tried to, yeah. two, three times and just couldn't click with it. And that's no disrespect um, to Nick Kime, who wrote it, I, it you know it's just a novel that's just not for me. I'm just not. Yeah. I just didn't really click with it. Um, maybe if I get hold of a paperback in the future, you know, maybe because I've listened to the audio, because that mm. can sometimes change your perspective. I found so I wouldn't rule it out because it's one of those books that I want to enjoy but just couldn't really get into. So apologies, Nick. I couldn't. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been um, you know been a you know, good bit of everything. Right. Um, actually, let's talk Black Library submissions. 
Yeah. <laughs> Before we forget. Quite. <laughs> so so it's been <laughs> what a week now, I think, since the window uh, closed. It was last yes, last Sunday, it, I believe. Yep, exactly. So um, obviously, you'd already got yours in before then. I got mine in on the last day because <laughs> <laughs> I started running out of time. Um, so yeah, how do you how do you feel about what you did? Uh, I am generally pretty happy with what I did. Um, I liked my idea, even though Games Workshop clearly saw my submission and then fast tracked <laughs> it into production, and it's now being produced. You'll be able to buy it soon. Uh, we'll talk about that in the news. Um, no, so my, my idea was a band of flesh eater cockles roaming around, uh, believing they are heroes on a, on a noble quest. Uh, and then, spoiler for the news section, hey, uh, flesh eater cockles believing they're heroes on a noble quest are coming to Warhammer <laughs> Underworlds. Uh, <laughs> with like a very similar team composition and weapon loadout. <laughs> to what I was writing, <laughs> so I can I can see the future. Apparently, um, they know I submitted it before it was revealed. They know I'm not the leaker. Um, no, uh, yeah, I was generally pretty happy with it. It was interesting to work in those time constraints. I'm not a super experienced writer. Like a lot of mm. my creative writing stuff is a little more free flow improvisation stuff during D and D and that kind of stuff. But I've done yeah. writing in the past. Um, I tried and did not complete a bachelor of creative writing at one point uh that's a different story entirely uh but uh it, it was nice to write uh it was nice to sit down and think creatively about this setting that i really like and think about what i would like to add into it and what i came out was i really love the flesh eater courts law i wish we had more from their point of view um and yeah, it was it was uh, it was fun. Um, I liked doing the little character bios, thinking up some interesting people that could be part of a fleshy to courts warband, and then the 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 five hundred word sample was a little tricky to get exactly five hundred <laughs> words, but I wanted to be on the line because I have a feeling that's their first that's their first thing is they go okay, everyone who's got less than four hundred ninety nine and over five hundred one words, you're out. Uh, <laughs> that that might be the first layer of looking at all the submissions. So I got bang on five hundred, so they have to look at it. They have to read it. Um, <laughs> read it. Um, yeah, yeah, it was fun. Um, I I essentially wrote it all in one go, and then I mm-hmm. waited a week and a half, and I went back and I changed sixteen words, and then I went. I don't think I can do it better than this. I don't want to forget about it. I'll submit it right now. <laughs> So it's not, it's not the most thorough drafting process ever, but, um, it was mostly just make sure I didn't keep using the same word twice in a row in a sentence and stuff like yeah. that. And, yeah, um, I did that too. getting the flow a little better. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was really happy with it. It was a lot of fun. Um, so actually let me just see if I can open this up so I can remember who my characters are. So I can talk about them. People, <laughs> people, people, people can, people can hear about this now that you can't steal it. Because submissions exactly. are closed. <laughs> so we're yeah. just going to open up Microsoft Word. Here we go. I'll do the same now. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, so I had da, 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 I had four main characters. I had Victor Delutin or Deluton. Uh, I can't do French pronunciation very well. I'm not in France. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, so he's the leader of the group. He believes to be a, he believes he's a disgraced noble, noble who's been exiled, and he is a devout follower of Sigmar. Uh, at least that's what he thinks. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, he he has a symbol of his devotion, which is a beloved steel warhammer that he was gifted by an old priest when he was exiled. It is actually that old priest's femur. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and uh, he's a cryptcast courtier, uh, and he's the leader of the band. Uh, it, it's, it's fun, like, getting into that noble but very religious mindset writing from him. Uh, then there is his personal servant, Thomas Dumont, uh, who is this massive brute of a man. He's fiercely loyal but not religious, uh, and he misses his misses his brothers and sisters and the rest of his family very dearly, and that that's, like, a bit of a tension because he was exiled because he was Victor's servant. Uh, sort of, you know, gone into exile with him. A squire can't leave their knight behind, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, he, he has a simple but reliable Iron Oak Club, which is actually the severed jaw of a dragon. Uh, lots of fun. <laughs> um, I have Sophie Menard, who is a, uh, fierce fighter who believes that, uh, Victor's religious beliefs cloud his tactical judgment that he should just be more forthright and honorable in combat instead of being all like we should hold back let them you know heal up etc you know they're all playing out this delusion in reality they're just cracking people over the head needing them um (laughs) but she uh she fights with daggers and a short rapier which is actually or or teeth and a this stinger from a shaman steel scorpion as the rapier um she's cool yeah lots of fun and my final member who was my uh, who uh this is my favorite one because i thought he was actually something interesting that i could add to the setting here is uh this is luke granet uh he's a slight and sickly man who is very very old uh he knows a little bit of magic and is an apothecary he's a trained doctor which is why he's valuable to the warband uh but uh from their point of view he suffers from sort of something along the lines of like early onset dementia because he'll be very genial and happy with all of them helping them treating their wounds and everything in one moment and the next moment he will not look at them he'll hide in corners try and run away and you know they have to like keep him close to them for his own good uh it's because he's not actually a true ghoul um he's some random guy who they all collectively decided was one of them in like their moments of delusion <laughs> gave him some of some of Victor's blood but not enough to fully turn him and fully infect him with the madness that all ghouls share and so he is being pulled along by all these all these actual ghouls having to watch them like tear through villages and eat children and all this kind of thing and sometimes <laughs> he sees them as noble crusading knights and then he blinks and he's like oh no this is very bad why am i here <laughs> oh this is awful uh so he is uh he's not he's not all there and he can't actually remember that he used to be an apothecary in Hammerhall Gyra uh, so yeah, he's, he's like towing that line between man and ghoul. Cause mm. there was something, um, there was like a line that said the more powerful a, uh, a ghoul leader is the further their madness can spread. It can even spread yeah. to people who aren't ghouls. So this is like the beginning of that. This is someone who's not quite made the transition, but they're teetering on that edge. Um, and the, the little, the, then they're like the men at arms, which is just this band of people who either were exiled along because they were considered guilty by association, or they chose to go with him. Uh, they all work with him. They're like, yeah, they're your Bretonian-style men-at-arms, but they're all just crypt ghouls with, like, shovels and bones in their bare hands instead of all these, like, serfs' weapons that they believe they have. Um, and then my sample is, like, you know, they're raiding a chaos camp, basically, from their point of view. Uh, in Gairan, they're sort of, like, cleaning up after one of Nurgle's armies, because they're brave questing knights, they've got to hunt down chaos and purge it. Uh, but it's actually uh, it's actually just a local village. 
Um, <laughs> and you know, everyone, everyone's having fun. They're like rummaging through the enemy's packs, pulling out these bread, loaves of bread and these strings of sausages. I'm like, you know what that is. If you've grasped the idea at this point, not food. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and like looks in, Luke's in the corner going mad. Uh, and, uh, Victor like does the finishing blow on this final chaos beast that's attempting to like scurry away piteously, like mewing and using broken English, the common tongue in Age of Sigma Adam, and it mentions Sigma's name and he gets angry, cracks it over the head with his warhammer, and its skull so hard that it dents the head of his warhammer. In reality, he just hit someone on the head hard <laughs> enough that he broke the end of the femur he's using as a weapon, that kind of stuff. Um yeah, and you know, like they 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 feel that they can't get any honor fighting these dregs that Nurgle's left behind, so they go ahead to, to Hammerhole Gyra. Um, they burn, they burn the village slash camp to the ground, and they move on. That's my little sample. Um, and the the overall thing I went is, you know, they've been exiled because Victor, in particular, was always a little weird. And when an emissary of Nagash came along, the whole court was like, "Yes, this is excellent. This is obviously like an emissary from the Emperor of." ghouls or whatever the delusion is in this case and Victor's like I don't trust this guy and the local <laughs> ghoul king exiled him and everyone he knew and so that's how this band was formed and they are going cross guy around the, the, the thrust of this story would be they essentially accidentally foil an attack in a heroic manner that would threaten Hammerhole Gyra you know they're like we'll go along we'll attack this chaos encampment and for once it is actually a chaos encampment or something <laughs> like that uh, not, not 100% on the, on the overall arc there, but that, that's my idea. It's like, they are, they think they're heroes, they're doing heroic stuff, they're actually doing this awful stuff, but somewhere along the way, they accidentally become actual heroes. And they've oh, got nice. like the, yeah, they've got like the quest for glory is the actual overall prompt I used there. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it, was, it was a lot of fun to write that. And, um, yeah. I, I hope I at least get considered. <laughs> it would be yeah. nice. Mm. No, I think that's a, that's a fair shout. And, like you, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing it actually. And it was, it was actually, I don't sound silly, but it was more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. Cause you sort of mm. can inadvertently put a bit of pressure on yourself and, yeah, and that sort yeah. of thing. So it was nice to actually go, you know what? I'm actually pretty happy with this. Um, I must actually send, I must send you a copy of it actually. Cause mm. I yeah. I've actually got around to doing that too. <laughs> so you can have a look at it for yourself. Um, awesome. So, so my, yeah, mine was a Sinesh AOS one basically. Cause it's something I basically, wrote something I thought I, that I would want to read myself mm, in mm. AOS. Um, I thought AOS uh, over 40K would be the better setting because you've got a bit more to play with. And mm. it's, I suppose, it, it's a bit lacking compared to 40K in general, like from a novel perspective, you know, I was thinking, right, where, yeah, where's the gaps yeah. that we can sort of look to plug, really? And I thought, we haven't really got any proper Sinesh you know, focus novels or novellas as such, apart mm. from odd, the odd short story. Um, so basically, I was basing mine on the, the treachery from within or betrayal mm-hmm. within sort of part of the, of the, uh, you know, the plan for this one. And so basically, um, the premise of mine is that this, this disgraced, 
uh, Chaos Sorcerer called Varknar Cruelvane. Um, and basically he's convinced members of uh, a Slaneshi Godseekers host called the Riders to Rhapsody um, to basically join him on a quest to find what they what's called the Speculum of Cagnosticity, which is basically this sort of a big obsidian magical mirror that he that they he's convinced them that it will lead them to Sanesh, who's obviously trapped. Um, mm. He's obviously actually not anything to do with Sanesh. He's actually masquerading. Uh, he's actually a Zinch sorcerer, technically. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And he's basically trying to use the mirror because he's part of a former cult that would find relics of power um, for, obviously, Zinch. But because he's been sort of disgraced, he's sort of trying to do it. He's gone on a, like a, a one-man mission to basically find this mirror because he's convinced it'll bring across what's called the Paradox Tide, which is like a bigger version of the Necroquake, basically. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so you got Varknar, Cruel Main. He's, like I said, he's part of this sort of cult that was uh, called Fate Shadow. Um, and like I said, he's now, he's, you know, from a character perspective, he's in a bit of a tricky situation because obviously he's got this sort of plan that he's trying to devise, but by fighting and traveling with the, rap, the riders to Rhapsody, he's actually gaining respect for him so he's going to be Mm. a bit in a bit of a conflicted situation you know later down the line um you've got razcor the mistress of the hunt she's basically a blade bringer on an exalted Mm -hmm. chariot so she's their leader and she's called the god bringer because she's reputed that she'll be the one to find Sanesh you know, oh, at some nice. point, yep, yep. Um, which is really cool. Um, she's also got two demonettes on her chariot known as the Vice and the Venom, um, <laughs> who one, <laughs> one revels like in, uh, in sort of torturing victims and the one likes doing the killing blow. And she sort of uses them as like a, you know, a bit of a, she confides in them basically mm. um, much to the jealousy of Semna. Semna Tearclaw is a seeker of Sanesh. She's a very overconfident, a seeker that's almost you know uh, you know has an obscene amount of arrogance uh basically she used to be part of an invaders host but razcor saved her when she was cornered by like a free guild patrol and she's now joined you know the riders to rhapsody um okay. because of the, this thing with free guild she's got immense hatred for mortals which in turn means she mm-hmm. hates rorgar rorgar is a hellstrider now he's mm-hmm. a powerful uh brute of a of a hellstrider who basically you know, uh, stole a steed of Sanesh, um, which is obviously how <laughs> Hellstriders become Hellstriders, but he did it mm. as a gesture of love for his sort of former lover, who uh, in a moment of madness he ended up killing. Um, so he's sort of on a quest to find Sanesh to sort of find out what his, sort of his destiny is. So there's a lot of banter mm. between those two, basically. Um, and then when it came to the sample, um, <laughs> which I suppose it would be the same for yourself, it's always hard, hard to write this because you're writing a passage somewhere in a novel that does doesn't exist mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, um, so basically because because th- this is set in shaman they come across mm-hmm. the wood of the nine lances which is basically a metal tree forest where the the blade the the leaves are razor blades basically so they've mm. basically been pursued by someone else uh i don't know yet at this point but they've basically <laughs> been pursued and they've ended up coming to a bit of a halt at this uh, forest and obviously um it ends up with uh Varknar trying to consider a way to get around it basically so uh, and sort of challenges them to to make their way way through it but like you know yourself 500 words is so easy yeah. to get through <laughs> yeah it really is <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah it didn't take long and a bit and i pretty much did the same as you as in i wrote it in one sitting um mm. and i've changed 
like you about 10 to 20 words but the actual <laughs> structure of that is not really changed mm. i was quite happy with it yeah um, I, and, and i suppose a bit like you i it's i'm i i feel just great submitting it you know i feel that's a win already going i've i've submitted it you know that's a good mm. thing to do and something yeah you know if something comes of it fantastic and i think if you know got to the next stage you know whatever that means if you know even if it was like <laughs> a you know yeah we you know we want to see more yeah uh, that that would be it for me that would be the, mm. that would be the win right there oh, yeah. you know, regardless yeah. of what came That's of it just to even yeah. not to be a flat no straight away would be absolutely <laughs> amazing and mm. I, and I d- and I honestly I don't mean this way it sounds but I I feel it what I've written is is capable enough to be considered like yeah. I'm happy with yeah. it you know because there's sometimes when you do stuff where you're thinking oh that was a bit rubbish wasn't it and then you know you think yeah I can see why they wouldn't be interested whereas I feel this has got a chance of at least you know uh, mm. not to make it all the way i mean i'm not saying anything as <laughs> it's scrabbling at that but just it, i just feel like yeah you know this i'm happy with this this is it feels mm. like it's the you know and, and it was the same when i read you know i mean obviously I've, i probably haven't seen the latest version of yours but when you sent me your copy a while ago i read it and uh, it sort of felt like yeah i could this you know this feels like if you know if, if you came across it in a black library novel you it wouldn't be out of place and i suppose oh, that's how i judge mine you know you. i feel that <laughs> no i do i, I generally we do and i and hope and mm. you know when you read mine when i send it I, maybe you hopefully feel the same but i i yeah. feel like this 500 words is not out of place no whether yeah. you know if you gave me the opportunity to do a whole novel i could fall apart completely i don't know <laughs> i've never yeah. done one but you know you know what i mean i feel like this is a good crack of the whip anyway mm. Uh, mm. pun intended um <laughs> so 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 yeah we'll see um because mm. didn't you say there's like this hundred day sort of window isn't there something yeah like that, that, yeah if, that, you, if you don't hear back in three months essentially they have not accepted your offer so we'll, we'll yeah. see sometime by the end of the year effectively yeah yeah because uh, I, I worked out the the the, the, the hundred days from the window closing was the 31st of december the last day yeah. of the year well oh there we go perfect yeah so <laughs> we've got until the end of the year to find out if we so, actually yeah. got in um, and yeah. if, if we get any further, we'll keep you updated, but there will maybe a point where we go, okay, we can't actually talk about this. Yeah. Anymore. NDAs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll that's, see. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm being highly I, optimistic, I, but yeah. Uh. Exactly. Well, <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? I, I like you, I don't, I'm not trying to kid myself. It's just that I feel mm. like, you know what? No, you know, that's the, and that's where you want to be. You want to be in a position where you feel mm. like, and, and if they turn around and say, no, we're not interested, they think, okay, that's cool. You know, that's just, there's, yeah. there's so much, there's so many other entries. It's, you know, it's, mm. oh, you yeah. can't get cocky or arrogant with it because, you know, there's, there's a good chance that there's a lot of people that have written better stuff than you. So it's not oh, yeah. about mm. that. And good luck to anyone listening that, that may have entered. Cause I know yeah. a few people on our Discord did as well. Mm. And I said so the best of luck to all of us, really. And, you know, <laughs> it'd be amazing if someone we knew got, you know, got mm. further down the line, even if it wasn't mm. us. So, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see how what comes of it. But uh, it's good. It's a good feeling knowing it's, oh, yeah. it's in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Right. Okay. So that's the hobby section, I believe, over and done with. So we'll have a much needed break. And then when we return, we'll get stuck into all that lovely, gorgeous news. Back soon. Right. Let's get stuck in to the delicious banquet of news 
that we've got mm. <laughs> ready to get stuck into. So, yeah, we've got <laughs> nice mix, good bit of 40K, mm. bit of AOS, yeah. bit of other stuff, you know, and all that. Mm. So, yeah, mm. right, let's start with 40K. So, uh, the first one thing on the list is the Adepta Asoratas Rhino. So, this was, a, I think, mm. well, almost two weeks ago. So, yeah. obviously, yeah. part of this Sisters of Battle train that's happening, we know it's coming <laughs> in November. And they've now revealed the Rhino. And, yeah, it's as expected, I believe. I think yeah, that is a, a nice-looking Rhino. It's a good Rhino. What can I say? <laughs> Slap, slaps the side of it. You can fit so many Sororitas in this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, it's a yeah. good-looking Rhino. It does. It, it, it drives. It shoots. It drives. It carries shoots. sisters it is, um, of battle. <laughs> It's closer in scale than if it were having to carry Marines. Yes. (laughs) A sister of battle can fit through that hatch. (laughs) Yes. Confirmed. It is is a rhino, but fancy. They spent the extra $150,000 to get all the the spoilers and stuff slapped on it. You know, they've got a relic. You can strap a sword to your rhino now in case your rhino has to make a melee attack. I don't think it's for yeah, that. That's... Although you never know. I mean, like, if you give the rhino a relic blade, what's that, like, strength plus two, AP minus three, D3 damage? <laughs> yeah, it's not so a it's, bad, it's not bad attack. If you can actually... no, not at all. <laughs> it is. It's, it comes with plenty of gubbins, I think. Mm. That's, the, that's the way to sum it up. It's a... Yes. I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves. A rhino is a rhino at the end of the day, but this yeah. one is lovely in the sense mm. that, you know, it's got all... It comes with all the accessories that one would imagine of a yes. Sisters of Battle rhino. Uh, I particularly like the hunter-killer missile that you can put mm. on it. It's got a nice... Oh, beautiful. Uh, nice, you know... Um, yeah, I mean, hmm. I don't think we can say any more than that, but it, yeah. you know, it's good that they've updated it. It's not just hmm. the normal hmm. one. I will say more. This means we have to get a good Exorcist model now because yeah. I want to see. <laughs> I want to see the organ in glorious plastic. Just <laughs> yeah. ba-da, 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 organ cannon. Come on, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it, it's Make good. It happen. Give us more Sisters of Battle. They're coming relatively soon. You need to show us the rest of the range, so we know we have to buy it all. We can't just yeah. speculate, Games Workshop. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I, I think it, all it, it summarizes basically that we've we've we're getting what we're what they're saying it, it's going to be mm. like. I, there's nothing in the sister stuff that we've seen so far that's that's massively out there, but that's not a bad thing. Everything no. is yeah. just a much nicer, updated version of the old mm. stuff, basically. Which is yeah. Well, yeah. I don't don't yeah, need any yeah, more yeah. than that. I mean, if they may throw mm. in some surprise, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I mean, like yeah. I said, there was only so much they were going to do with a rhino. But you know, I can't <laughs> yeah. fault. It. I can't fault it. I think, yeah, no, so, no, you know, if can't I, fault it at if all. I want a rhino for my sisters, that be the, I'll be happy with that. That's absolutely mm. fine. Yeah, but you know, talking mm. about things that more are updated old model and getting updated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, well, so, so I hear, I hear. Row, row, row your boat gently down the street. Uh, that was my favorite image I've seen in the last fortnight. Um, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, they were getting plastic incubi and plastic yep. Clavexes as part of that. Um, mm-hmm. Clavex does look like he's kayaking. Uh, <laughs> Can't get that image out of my head. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, but they look great. 
which is fantastic yes. because by all reports, the fine cast Incubi are the worst of the bunch just because they have those swords. It's such a big part of the mini. And uh, yep. they tend to curl up and bend pretty badly Get in fine cast, apparently. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, Plastic Incubi, absolutely awesome. They are one of the coolest units in Dark Elder, I'm pretty sure. I would, I, I'm mm. happy to say that. They are just super evil and menacing looking. It's just an angry elf with a big cleaver and he's going to get you. <laughs> yeah. And if he's really angry, he's got two cleavers joined together. So he's like Darth Maul, um, which is even yeah. better. Yeah, um, basically. Yeah, pretty much. He's, he's, and, he's and, good. And, he's good. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's good. Um, there's a little speculation to be had here. Um, mm-hmm. This is technically related to the next one as well, but we're getting plastic incubi and clavexes. Surely, surely we're getting a plastic dressar as well. Well, they they've basically <laughs> they've com- com- not confirmed it, but not confirmed it. Basically, I mean, if you look at the artwork, um, they've now revealed Monday, so tomorrow, of, as of mm. this recording, oh Monday god, the, yeah, Monday the thirtieth, they're going to be revealing a phoenix lord um well how they phrased it phoenix lord falls or phoenix falls i should say so yeah, yeah so it's it, it's gonna be Trezor. yeah <laughs> Which, and, ooh, and, it's exciting <laughs> i'm looking forward to hopefully them updating him so much so that you can actually see that what he the weapons he uses are actually weapons not part of his arms because <laughs> he's one of those yeah. models when you look at him you're thinking he's just like a little like a, he looks like almost like a tyranid. Like he's yeah, just there, like he's a little a raptor little with his blade arms. Mantis. And like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, praying mantis. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it's. Hmm. I'm, I hope they make it so you look at him thinking, oh yeah, that's actually he's actually carrying sort of yeah. upside down blades, basically. Well, like that. That's the problem in second edition Warhammer when Drasar's model came out. I'm pretty sure. There weren't, there wasn't such a thing as a slashing weapon. There were only bludgeoning weapons. And so his swords were about a foot thick to scale. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, comment, it's comment on old molds. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to him looking properly fierce. We'll find out before this is released, but after it's recorded. So listeners, yes. tell us what you think <laughs> about Drazar. Or if it's not Drazar, tell us what you think about Karandras turning to the dark side and abandoning the oh. striking scorpions like the master oh. of old. Oh, oh okay. Ugh. Just throwing out there. Throwing things out of here. If I'm right, Games Workshop needs to start paying me. If I'm wrong, Games Workshop can pay me to be quiet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a winner in this. <laughs> Everyone's a winner. But that's not the Phoenix Lord we have right now. The Phoenix Lord no. we have right now is the Silent Death. It's Jane Zar. In mm-hmm. the wraithbone armored flesh and hair, and mostly hair. She's like 95% yeah. body weight, hair, hair by body yeah, weight. Just yeah. like us. <laughs> just like us. Actually, um. not that far off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a mess. There's a reason I love Beastmen. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, can relate to them. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, but no, Jane oh, Jane's she's here. gorgeous. God, she's. She is, looks fantastic. I've seen some complaints that she's in the Howling Banshee Temple colors, whereas her older models were in a much darker scheme. Yeah. These these complaints were null and void. The second uh, someone on the Boltron Chainsword thread about Chainsaw did a very good Photoshop job of her in bone white and purple, and my God. My yeah. God. 
I saw it too. Because I, mm. I saw such, it's funny you say that because that's something I was <laughs> going to comment on that I was just shocked that mm. people were criticizing the model because of the paint job. And you're thinking, yeah, I've got a secret for you. You don't have to paint a model yeah. in the colors that you see in the official photo. There is many a color out there you can paint them in. It's not uh, compulsory, any way, think- shape, or form. I think it's more like the comment on this is her canonical color scheme now, maybe, mm. I guess. But, like, it's fine. It it looks good. Howling Banshee colors are nice. They're really vibrant as well. Like, that mm-hmm. red-orange hair makes her really stand out. But listen, this model is incredible. <laughs> She's fantastic. She is oh utterly God. gorgeous. It's, a mo- it's one of the yes. best models I've seen in recent times. She is exactly how you would imagine her to be. Because, again, there's complaints about the size of her hair. To be honest, mm. it, oh, it could have been twice the size I would have liked it. To be honest, <laughs> she, she is hair. You know, that's one yeah. of her things. It's not like it, – it would be like doing Abaddon without a top knot. You know, it, mm. it's that's oh. the, the, she's got <laughs> big hair. That's just the, the way it is. Yeah. And yeah. I don't see that as a bad thing. It's, yeah. The pose is fantastic. Again, some people were a bit unhappy about the pose, as in it's a bit too dynamic. I mean – what do you want it's to do? I don't know, I'm sitting by a bonfire, you know, like yeah. it, it it's, I mean Fuegan, right? Fuegan's model might be doing that. Yeah, well exactly. <laughs> when that happens. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is true. This is this is the howling the Banshee's Phoenix Lord, she's gonna be moving. I just the way that she is a perfect like they haven't actually changed anything about her. They have literally just updated this model from a second edition lead model to an eighth edition plastic model. Yeah, because she is. All the details are exactly the same. They are just better proportioned in sharper detail. Like she doesn't have a weird goblin nose anymore. Like um, <laughs> looking when whenever I looked at the second ed model, I always thought she had th- a three pronged mask, like the top prong and then a prong to either side. No, those are ears. You can see that now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, all that all that kind of stuff. Like her pose is a bit more dynamic, but honestly, if you preferred the older pose. I can see your way to cutting and bending that arm to get her with like the glaive crossed in front of her while she throws yeah. instead. It's yeah, and, and yeah, the hair. The hair is exactly the same. It's just better, and it yeah. is. It, it something about her stands out as so unique. I think it's this combination of all these older aesthetics that haven't been changed. They've just been updated mm. to like look prettier. And I really love this. I cannot get over this. If every Phoenix Lord is done to this level. <laughs> Eldar, hap- Eldar players are going to be some very, very happy chappies. Is yeah, what I'll say there. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. And it, it echoes what I was saying about the Sisters of Battle. It's just they've mm. taken them and updated them without making them totally different. And she's a perfect example of that. I'm, I mean, mm. I, the, only, the only thing I would say, and I can accept this, is that people are a bit nervous about the connection point on the, be- the, mm. the, the hair to the base. I can see that yeah. being a bit weak. But. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. They wouldn't have yeah, let it go out yeah. that bad. Oh, yeah. You know, it'd yeah. be fine. Look, but if no, you're she, really she concerned, cut up a little sprue to make a fake rock and glue that to the base and to yeah. the bottom of her feet as well. She looks like she's still jumping around. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, it is It is a fixable offense. Yeah. Exactly. And also, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people said the same thing about Hark and World Claimer, and it turns out he's actually pretty damn sturdy. <laughs> on his mm. tiny, tiny, thin rod of an attachment point. So, like, <laughs> the, it, it should be fine. And if it's not fine, there are there are ways around it. Yeah. 
I totally she's, agree. But it, it, it's I mean, very encouraging <laughs> now that this yeah. is the way things are going with them. Yes. And like I said, it, it, it shows that they are delivering now on some of these things that people are wanting. We, you know, I know we're mm. sort of repeating mm. ourselves slightly when we've talked about Phoenix Warriors, but, uh, <laughs> sorry about Aspect Warriors. And it, you know, it's, it shows that they are willing to do this. And like I said, for some people, mm. just an updated version. You don't, not everything needs to be brand new, never seen before. You know, sometimes mm. just, just give us a new model. You know, that's why, you know, with video games, why people buy remasters and <laughs> yeah. remakes. It's oh, the God. same, you know, it's <laughs> the same so thing. Sometimes you go, I just want it looking nicer and I will mm. love it just the same. And this is, you know, again, another perfect example of that. Yeah. And now it's, all I hope is that they don't, sort of just stop there with it you know obviously we know that something's coming tomorrow mm. and we obviously we think mm. you know what it's going to be but like i said they now need to update the others and if they don't yeah then that'll be very sad because otherwise you'll be a mm. bit like well okay i've got all these but <laughs> i want all these up you know they, yeah they have to yeah. Sort of fully commit to this other oh, like, yeah. i'm not saying they're yeah. not but they have to <laughs> otherwise people will get quite mm. disgruntled and I, obviously mm. you know it's got to be that way yeah i have a feeling it won't be an immediate full Aspect Warrior range update, just because that would be no. crazy in terms of shelf space and stuff like that. I have mm-hmm. a feeling, I have a strange feeling that it'll be this this part of Psychic Awakening will focus on Drukari and Craft World Elder, the Asuriani, and maybe the Inari, actually, because mm-hmm. there's been, like, part of the post talking about it makes it kind of sound like uh, Jane Zars allied herself with the Inari and are, like, guiding them around yep. in, their, in their goal here, so that'll be interesting. So I have a feeling it will mostly be some Dark Elder updates and certain Aspect Warrior slash other kits updates for Eldar in general. It will be Howling Banshees and Jane's R and maybe one other Phoenix Lord and one other <laughs> Aspect Warrior path. And then we'll have to wait. And then something else will happen. Another section of Psychic Awakening will happen and it'll be another couple Phoenix Lords dealing with this over on the other side of the galaxy against this yeah. other faction. Actually, yeah. I feel that would be a good way to tie the Psychic Awakenings together. There would be people who'd be like, oh, why is everything Eldar? And then all the Eldar players will look, will point at every expansion for the last five years and say, why was everything Space Marines? Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like that might be a way to do it because like they're framing a lot of this with this, um, what was his name? Iloku, the, uh, the Eldar prophet, are framing mm. this with a lot of his prophecies and. I think it'd be a good way to get like this rolling advance on some of the older Xenos sculpts as well. So like they got Drukari and Inari now. The next time they'll have, say, Fire Warriors and Dark Reapers versus Tyranids using the specialty uh, bio beasts that are still in metal and fine cast and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And then roll forward and it'll be the Striking Scorpions and Swooping Hawks versus the Necrons and stuff like mm. that. And moving forward, rolling like that, I, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, um, no, I can, but- I can see that. I think, I think that. I just have this feeling that eighth edition is just going to just keep evolving for a while. Mm. And so I think oh, yeah. that now that all the code, you know, give or take apart from like sisters, that all the codexes are out now. So they're probably thinking, right. Okay. What do, you know, where do we go from here? Cause obviously they want to keep churning out new stuff mm. without completely rewriting stuff, because obviously that can get a bit tiresome as well. And obviously sometimes you just want to 
you know you want to sit on what you've been working on for a while yeah. so so the, so psychic awakening is a, is a perfect example where they can now fill in these gaps where they go right okay so you know like we said a couple of episodes ago there's obviously a lot of xenos factions that could do with a bit of love when it comes to the model range um mm-hmm. you know like, like you said obviously going from either metal or fine cast and this is the perfect way of doing it because that way you're still you know you're still channeling out your primaris and things like that but then you're filling in these gaps you know, to keep everyone mm. sort of a, a level, you know, a level sort of thing. And I can see it now, like you said, I, I agree when it comes to Aspect Warriors, they'll do this for a bit. And then in three months, six months, for example, right, here we go. We've got some more <laughs> now just to, you know, because like yeah. said, it would just be crazy. <clears throat> I think I, this will happen for some of the, the other Xenos races now that, you know, I, I, I'm very, very much thinking that mm. like for the time for example we will see oh, yeah. an updated farsight or shadow sun or both i that you know there because yeah. again luckily tau d- has mo- you know mainly plastic stuff and and mm. you know it's not mm. massively in need of an update but they're you know they're two of their main characters are in fine cast and yeah and, you know yeah. showing the uh <laughs> the negativity of that <laughs> so they're a perfect example i you know and i can see it with maybe even chaos you know fabius bile mm. comes back you know with oh, a new model God. and and things like that, that. I think they'll, they'll <laughs> I think they'll start picking characters uh, particularly mm. uh, just to you know revamp them because look how, how successful it's been Abaddon mm. you know being oh, brought yeah. back or being, up, being updated and obviously I'm sure Jane Zarby equally popular with the you know mm. with the Eldari players so yeah I can see this sort of evolution and and, and also it, it ties in nicely with AOS because obviously AOS is in a similar <laughs> position in the sense that obviously mm. they're trying to get all the all the um, all the battle tomes uh, and the spells etc all up to date so everyone's on a level playing field put inside yeah. meta but everyone's got this you know <laughs> uh, updated book but again they're you know they're, mm. then they're targeting certain factions go right you know they're fine they're brand new faction like you know carriage on overlords they don't need updating because they're all new models anyway but ah mm. seraphon mm. Mm. yeah <laughs> you need some love <laughs> you know it, it, i think that's how again mm. they'll start evolving things because you know doing a new gaming you know version so you know doing a ninth edition for 40k doing a, a third you know aos 3.0 you know it, it's a lot of resource mm. and also it sort of takes away from the stuff you've done before so i think this is the way that they can keep updating things by you know getting everything to a fairly level playing field from a book and a model yeah point of view so yeah yeah absolutely we'll see um speaking of continual evolution games workshop continues in its attempt to create the world's squarest jaw uh it's <laughs> it's tor garadon they they took guy fieri toughened him up transported him thirty thousand years into the future and stuck that boy in a pseudogravis armor with a fist the size of a human torso um <laughs> my god that that power fist my god <laughs> Um, oh. yeah, it's, it's the Imperial, the Imperial Fist Primaris character. Um, this is not a Primaris Marine initially. This is a, this is a character from the law who mm. is, has crossed the Rubicon Primaris and become a Primaris Marine. Do you know where he's from, from the law? Well, I, I believe he was a, <laughs> was he a captain? I think in like sixth edition or something, um, uh, he, something he was, around then. He was, uh, he was a veteran sergeant used okay. to show the heraldic colors in sixth edition for imperial fist that's his mm. only mention previously he was <laughs> he was a cutout image showing the yellow suit with a red helmet and some stripes or whatever i believe it was 
And they went, Tor Garadon, veteran sergeant of the third company, or whatever. That's his only prior mention. I love that they're digging this deep to find mm. guys to cross the Rubicon Primaris. Because we're effectively getting new characters, but you can also say we're not creating these guys out of entirely nothing. They've been around. They yeah, just haven't just... done anything of note before. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I think I, I, I applaud GW for doing this, actually, because it, it, mm. it's now made people realise that you're not always necessarily going to get the obvious ones that go through the Rubicon. Because mm. obviously they were like, right, oh, it's a new Imperial Fist one. Oh, it's got to be Lysander. Nope. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's these Tor are Garadon, brand new. You know, yeah. You know him. <laughs> you remember like... <laughs> this one line from a codex from four years ago? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't know. I mean, you can't remember. <laughs> you know, Tor Garadon. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 but no, but I think that's great. It, like you said, it's nice mm. that it brings, because what, you know, it doesn't have to be the obvious ones. Um, no. I mean, yeah. It, it, and, and obviously they've done it, obviously, with the, the, the salamanders as well. Because mm. obviously now yeah. we've got. Uh, Adrax Agatone as well. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Vulcan Hastan, but it was not. No, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's not going to be. It just means no, that yeah. you know that they've decided to bring these lads back. Yeah, or bring them forward in you know in Primaris mm. armor, looking great. Um, yeah. One thing I one thing I've noticed with Tor Garadon is that every time I see the videos, the artwork mm. from you know the trailer. Mm. He yes. reminds me of Ron Perlman, and I, yes. can't, I can't not see that anymore. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is interesting because I love Tor Garadon. He looks incredible. Someone did a thing where they photoshopped the face of the old man from up into the suit of armor, <laughs> and I can't unsee it. So if I ever buy this model, he will be getting a helmet immediately. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't want to see your face. I can't o- see it anymore. Otherwise, he looks fantastic. He's got a shoulder-mounted yeah. grab gun. He's got a, he's got a power fist the size of his own torso with yep. brass knuckles that yep. apparently is, according to Alik, is a strength times three power fist. <laughs> yeah, he gets him up to strength um, 12, 12, and I think, yeah, yeah something like that. And uh, yeah, made for, yeah, He's and made I- for punching things. <laughs> yeah well you know he puts the fist in imperial fist mm, yeah and he looks great <laughs> and honestly i like that he's fairly actually fairly generic which is a good thing like the mm. only thing picking him out as a fist specifically is like the icon on his shoulder pad because they're, they're like he he looks fortified but like just like up armored past even regular gravis armor so you could use this for any chapter as yeah, like just I a really so. really cool captain and gravis armor like he looks yeah. amazing slap slap a bolt pistol on the back of that fist give him a sword in the other hand there you go um yeah then we have we have adrax agatone or agatony i'm not sure if that's more of a greek <laughs> name there uh, yeah. it could be um he's the coolest primaris model that has thus been released that's all i'm going to say there <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it is yeah the- but- mm. he's good <laughs> people people have been complaining about Primaris stuff being like too tactical and like clean and stuff. This is the most ornamental, grimdark looking motherfucker I've ever seen. <laughs> he has is. a thunder hammer. He has some kind of hand flamer. He's wearing the just the respirator of his helmet, coldly staring out at you over it. And he doesn't have a top knot. He has a burning brazier of coal strapped to the top of his backpack. <laughs> yeah. He's got ornamental greaves. He's got a he's got a salamander skin cloak. He is incredible. Oh my mm. god! Yeah, and so like, I, mm. 
go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I was, no, I was just going to say that it, it just shows what they can do with these guys. Cause you're right that primaries do you know, get a lot of stick for, for, mm. for the way they look sometimes. But I, I, at the end of the day, these guys can have these extra gubbins and stuff on them. I mean, mm. because they can go, right. Okay. We're going to make some rules for these guys. We're going to give tour a, ridiculous over the over the top power making him you know power fist making him look like a uh, hellboy and yeah you know oh, we'll God, give him yeah. a you know a, a mount yes again the whole ron perlman thing mm. a mounted you know a mounted grav cannon on his uh you know on his back and yeah i mean why not i mean that's the thing it allows them to sort of go to that sort of extra level and and also i think it's time that we got new characters anyway with mm. some of these um uh, which sort of slightly contradicts what I was saying about James R with them being <laughs> updated. But I think it's another good thing. I like it when they go, right, mm. you know what? Let's have some new 40K characters that, you know, there may be, they may not be the best rule wise, but, you know, narratively, they're just, you know, they're cool yeah. and you want them in your army. So, yeah, I, I mean, no, I fully support this. Exactly. I mean, they're solid enough. They're just really good characters, but like not nothing insane, which is all we've wanted. We just want a nice, flavorful dude who looks incredible. And in the case of yeah. Tor Garadon, can punch down a building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Well, like, going back to what you were saying about them, you know, people being able to use them for other chapters, I've seen it with the Iron mm. Father uh, figure that came out recently. Yes. I've seen them being used as, as tech marines for, mm. you know, yeah. for other chapters. And, it, and exactly. Yeah. Why not? You know, use them. And that's the, you know, they're not all, because obviously you'll see these and think, oh, I don't do Imperial Fists, but. You know, oh, you know, yeah, use uh, a bit of, uh, you know, use a bit of trickery and uh, you can have them <laughs> on your side. Yeah, exactly. So, very exciting. Mm. Right. Okay. Next 40K thing is the condensed rule book, which went up for pre-order yesterday. Um, Cameron, I'm not going to lie. This has made me angry. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, sorry. When I say it's made me angry, not the concept behind it. I think mm. it's brilliant. Mm. I think. They were, you know, what they've done obviously now is they've released a rule book without the fluff. Because obviously, mm. to be fair, the 40k rule book and the same for the core book with AOS are very big and obviously lugging them yes. around is yeah. a bit of a chore along with your, your codexes and everything like that. Um, I think it's a great idea to make an A5. And, you know, in mm. my head, I was thinking, great, you know, playing 40k at Wyoming World in, in November, I will take it along. Not at 30 quid and not as direct only. <laughs> it, it, it's, oh, Jesus. I don't get this. I must really? admit, I'm, yeah, I'm uh, actually quite shocked by let me this check because the pricing in Australia, because I did not, look yeah, it, it, <laughs> you know, to put it in perspective, you can get the, the normal rule book, the big one for 35 pounds. Mm. And, and this is without all the fluff. It's smaller. And, you know, I, I just think <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's not thirty pounds or or your your equivalent. It's just uh, yeah, I just don't think not, it's worth that. It's not eighty four bucks is what it is. <laughs> uh, you know, is that is that I, is that a lot compared to other um, things over there? Because I, uh, I, I mean that that it, that would be the same as buying a box of Plague Marines. Yeah, um, it's, it's. I think it's a lot for what it is. It's a small rule book. It. it mm. I think. It should be no more than half that, 50, see, maybe £20 as a, as a see, push. See, this really confuses me because they're doing the same thing for Age of Sigma, right? Mm-hmm. Warhammer yep. 40,000, the rules, is direct only, is in my case 84 bucks, 30 quid in your case. Yep. Warhammer Age of Sigma gaming book 
is not direct only and is only $55 here. So yeah. I'm assuming it's like yeah. in the 15 quid range for you. Yeah, it's I think 19, I think. But but yeah. it's also not direct only, so you can get it from a, an indie store for Oh, you know what you the know, difference tw- is? Tw- the 40k mm. one's hardcover and the Age of Sigma one's softcover. Yeah, it that <laughs> It's not good Ugh. enough. I, I think I'm actually quite annoyed at this. I must admit. I mean, it, it's mm. not going to change my life. I was in the sense that no. I got the rule book no. anyway. It's just when you think I'm just angry in the sense because I just think it's a bit needless. To be honest, mm. I think it, yeah. it's too polarizing. Like you just said, the AOS one mm. is, you know, almost just un- you know just a bit more than half the price. And like I said not direct only. Whereas, mm. like, I'm just I'm just shocked because this this uh 40k one is 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 going to two types of audience it's going to mm. new people that to the game and it's going to go to people that already play that think oh yes i can get the one that's a lot smaller i don't need to lug it around in my in my bag mm. you know so there's there's not many people that wouldn't at least consider buying this and maybe yeah. that's why maybe that's why it, it is and i i suppose the only thought process is between the two is that they obviously they're still trying to push AOS more because obviously it, it isn't as popular as 40k that's a, mm. a known fact yeah. Yeah. so maybe they think right okay it will make the, the 40k one a bit more expensive because players will you know the ones that have been playing it and play it week in week out will buy it anyway and obviously, mm. for the newer players that they want to get into AOS, you go, ah, oh, but this rule book's only, you know, it's got everything you need. It's, a, you know, the gaming book, yeah. but it's it's cheaper and whatever. Also, maybe it's just to entice people to AOS, maybe. The AOS one is incredible, incidentally. It is the mm. core rules. It is extra match play and pitch battle rules for tournaments and stuff like that. It has 31 yep. battle plans. It has all the It has all the realmscape rules. It has all the artifacts of the realms from Malign Sorcery as well. Mm. Yeah. It is it is like it's everything except the endless spells from Malign Sorcery. It's got general handbook yeah. stuff, it's got yeah. basic rules, I mean like Yeah. I don't know why the Age Signal one's so much better. It feels to me like I was just looking them on the website, like the two descriptions are very different. The Age of Sigma one is being sold as super practical. Uh, there's like it's got all this stuff you'll need to get started. It's got all the general's handbook stuff. It's got all the realm of battle stuff, and then the 40k one is like the luxurious soft touch cover and black gilt edge page. I'm like, are you trying to sell this one as a luxury product? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it seems it, that's what it is. <laughs> comparatively, I think it's a kick in the teeth as well because it, of the the situation that we already have where. You know, War Scrolls in AOS are free mm. and free to mm. download on the the website, whereas Forty K doesn't have that. I know you have the Primer uh, rulebook and and such like, but I I don't know. I suppose again, it's just me. It's to me, it's this rules gulf mm. between the two is getting yeah. bigger, and I don't understand it. I don't again, if unless they think it's because they want to entice people more to AOS, and uh, but it. I don't know. I, just, I again. I just mm. find it. I do actually find it unacceptable. I'm actually yeah. quite disappointed by this. You know, because most of most of the time when I see GW drop the ball, I think, yeah, what? Okay, you drop the ball, but whatever. But I'm, this is actually something I think. You know, this is actually not mm. right. <laughs> I yeah. actually feel this is actually quite frustrating <laughs> because literally, I when I got news of this. I was going to be ordering this. I thought, right, oh, yeah. I need, I'm going to, yeah. and, and now I'm not going to order it because I'm thinking <laughs> I'm not spending that much on it. It's not worth it. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's just not at the I end mean, of the day. Yeah. 
it's got interesting stuff in it. Like, it's got the Cities of Death and the Planet Strike mm. and all that kind of, like, different ways to play, including a dogfight variant for using only flyer models, apparently, mm. and, and yeah. like, organizing campaigns and stuff. Like, it's going to be useful if you get it. I'm not shaming you if you do, but, like, from my point of view, where I, I, I barely play 40K as it is, let's be honest, um, <laughs> it's, it's just not worth it. It's really no, weird. No, it's that, not that disparity between the two is the one that really confuses me. <laughs> mm. and, I, and I think the problem is that by releasing them at the same time, you've highlighted that as mm. well. It's yeah. now made it even more obvious that one, you're thinking, oh, that's a really good deal. Uh, mm. Unlike this one here, <laughs> you know, it sort of just made it even more obvious. And I just, I just think it's a real shame. I'm just, yeah. like I said, just disappointed really, because uh. I was looking forward to having it. I mean, maybe, you know, there'll be, I'll, I'll have a moment of madness and buy one in the future, but it, because I'll just think, yes, this will, you know, if I ever played 40k, uh, very consistently, then yeah, maybe I'll be, it would force mm. my hand potentially. I just feel like, yeah, just, to, yeah, I know I'm repeating myself, but I just feel disappointed with no, no, this, but it's all right. But, and I'm, and, I, and don't, and by me saying this, anyone listening, don't feel I'm, you know, poo pooing anyone that would, that buys it. I can see the, the yeah. You know, I see the positives of buying it. I'm not criticizing anyone that would consider buying this. I just, I'm just mm. disappointed on a personal level that they priced it and made it direct at, you know, mm. the, at the cost it is. I just feel that's yeah. just disappointing, really. I think it's, um, they've just been greedy <laughs> for being, for being brutally yeah. honest. But, yeah. but hey, that's, but hey, that's the way it is. <laughs> um, you know, la- <laughs> cool, cooler, more fun news that, that action figure keeps looking better and better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, Bandai Intercessor has mm. been shown off in more glory. You can see it in a, a 360 spinning <laughs> situation on the website. Uh, he, yeah, it does look very cool. Um, mm. Is it So it's up for pre-order next month, I believe. Yes. Still don't know how much it'll be, but honestly, look at that thing. It's so, it's so beautiful. It's so pretty. I want one. <laughs> <laughs> I know, so do I. It oh. Lovely on my in my room here. <laughs> mm. <laughs> hint, um, hint. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is the painted version. We now know what it'll look like with pe- with the official paint scheme on it. It'll look very mm. good, is what it'll look like. Um, yeah, that's more or less definitely. it, really, for forty uh, k. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of things that don't seem to be disappointing, uh, Cities of Sigma and Auric Battletones are up for pre order. Yeah. Um, so, which means the War Scrolls are up, and uh, Matt, I'm going to read an ability out to you from... Uh, okay. Oh, I'm, no, I'm not. It's disappeared. It's disappeared. My Reddit app was open, and it is now gone. Let me quickly find <laughs> the thing I was looking at. I was a fool and didn't save the image. Scrolling through till I find it. You can update the app now as well, by the way. The Age of Sigma app does have the... The new War Scrolls on it, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so they've, they've updated uh, a lot of the War Scrolls. My favorite updated one is the Longbeards War Scroll, uh, which okay. are the, the Dwarden veterans. Uh, yeah. They they already had an ability called Old Grumblers, where they could complain about things to buff up people around them. Uh, for example, <laughs> they already had the complaint, I thought Dwarden were made of sterner stuff, which adds bravery to local dispossessed units. And I believe they already had Put Your Back Into It, Beardling. Uh, which let nearby dispossessed re-roll once to wound, but they have a new complaint. There's something new for dwarves to complain about in the Age of Sigmar universe. Uh, quote, too much damned magic flying about these days. <laughs> 
a unit with this complaint can attempt to dispel one endless spell in your hero phase. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's just the uh, the idea of like twenty old dwarves grumbling at a purple sun <laughs> until it just <laughs> winked at until it winks out of existence is so perfect. That's me, it's me talking about the 40k condensed rule book. <laughs> yeah. Bloody prices. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, battle mages, interestingly enough, when you, when you put a battle mage in your list, you choose what realm it comes from separate to what realm your army comes from. And that okay. gives it a unique spell. And, and Matthew, you can have a battle mage from the realm of Azir with a unique Ooh. Azirian spell. Which is actually really good. It's chain lightning. Uh, when you cast it, you pick an enemy unit within 18 inches and they take D3 mortal wounds. Then nice. you roll a dice for every enemy unit within six inches of that unit. And on a four up, the, each of those units takes D3 mortal wounds as the lightning chains around, which is really good if you mm. shoot it into like the middle of your opponent's army. Um, and also all the other spells are the spells wizards know if the battle is set in that realm. Yeah. So presumably, if we were to get Realm of Battle rules for Azir, if, for example, the gates were broken and Sigmar was threatened Ooh. directly, presumably Chain Lightning would be the spell that everyone would get to use. Yeah. Which is exciting. Yeah. That it's sounds not very cool. Confirmation, but it's a possibility. <laughs> and that <laughs> yeah. is very exciting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, no, they seem it- pretty good. Pretty good rules. Yeah, no, overall. they do. I, I think I think this looks very encouraging, and and it's nice that I know we we said it when the codex, oh, sorry, the battle tomes were announced a while ago. That it's nice that they're tying this all together. Like I said, you go on the GW website; they're all there under City mm. Sigma. Mm. You know, obviously the uh, the War Clans are under there. Um, no, I, I did, what I did notice actually is I swear they wasn't before the Git Mob wasn't there before as a as a mm. filter on the side. I swear they've added really? that now. So, yeah. Um, well, can... no, it wasn't there before because they took it away because it yeah, used to be I there thought. before. They took it away when they squatted the old Goblin Wolf Riders, which means it's there yeah. because they're coming uh, back. <laughs> okay. Actually, no, sorry. I'm mixing it up with Gut Busters, actually, by the look of it. No, but gut no, was, no, Gutbusters wasn't there before. I don't believe. Oh. I don't. Oh. Maybe. No, I could be maybe. completely wrong on that. Who knows? It's but. a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> so yeah, so the battle tomes are up for pre order now. They're out next week, obviously, <laughs> with all the things like the war scroll cards and and such like. Um and also two new start collecting boxes came out of the woodwork yeah. as well, which is very exciting. Uh where they've obviously put together some of the obviously older stuff. Uh so they've done the uh Anvil Guard one, which obviously features mm-hmm. the Dark elves, but not dark elves. Yeah, <laughs> in, in there. So, uh, what are you getting? You're getting a, uh, a fleet master, ten corsairs, mm-hmm. a uh, carabadis, and a yep. scourge runner chariot. So that's a nice Which little, is, nice little cool. set. And you can build a yeah. hydra instead of a carabadis if you don't want that. Um, yep. It is. I like it. It is a pure old dark elf star collecting box, which is really cool. Uh, and. The other one is the Grey Water Fastness, which is a pure Dwarden star collecting box. Yeah. Mm, delicious. <clears throat> it's a, uh, no, it's, it's a good. Warden it's King, good. a Gyrocopter, and ten dwarf? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, you saw Warden yeah. King, a Cogsmith, ten Ironbreakers, uh, and a Gyro Bomber. Yeah. Which can be a Gyrocopter. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty, mm. pretty damn cool. 
Like, yeah. this will be on shelves and stores. People will walk in and be like, oh, look, dwarves in Age of Sigma. Like, old school <laughs> dwarves. Like, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're a thing now. Pretty cool. Um, it also solidifies them being in yeah. AOS. Because, obviously, I know that, obviously, oh, yeah. this has created a lot of fear in the past. We'll see a lot of the recent uh, sort of Cities of Sigma cull that obviously involved uh, mm. quite a few models disappearing. So, again, putting them in a battle time obviously helps make them stick around but also putting them in a start collecting box again same principle it really means that mm. they have no real intention of getting rid of them in the near future which is always very yeah cool. yeah it is pretty cool uh also because like cities of sigma has a free guild great sword guy on the cover and everyone yep. presumably assumed that those would be the star collecting boxes. like no there's no humans in these star collecting boxes no you get you get elves and you get dwarden yeah. These are the core things you need. These are the things we're proud of showing off. <laughs> exactly. So, no, it's, it's, it's very mm. good. And like I said, it's very encouraging for that faction as well. So, and again, it's just tightening AOS up, which is, yeah, to me, is a, always a good thing. So, mm. uh, and like I said, the last thing is that gamer book that we've already mentioned anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, I think that's definitely, definitely that got a lot good. of positives as well. Yeah. So, especially for the money. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. Move on to the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, Beastgrave is out, and the book mm-hmm. Beastgrave is also out. Uh, I have not picked up the book. I should, because it looks interesting. Um, but yeah, Beastgrave's out. Uh, it presumably is as fun as any other season of Shadespire. I can tell you, everything's super nice. The tokens look great. The mats look great. All the various inserts you get in the box, great. Models, great. Um <laughs> Honestly, good review. <laughs> yeah, no, just good review. It didn't click with me how good a deal the Star Collecting box for Shades Bio boxes or Underworlds boxes is until I realized yeah. you're getting two warbands plus the boards, plus the tokens, plus the dice, plus the warbands decks, plus extra universal cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, in my case, for $10 more than buying two warbands normally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, that's a real good box, actually. Uh, so, yeah. fantastic. Totally agree. Um, yeah. Uh, and also, we got the reveal. It was accidentally leaked a little early uh, by Games Workshop's Facebook page, I believe, or Hammer Community's Facebook page. Um, we get the Grim Watch, which is a fleshy to Quartz warband. Um, and I've got the uh, got the Beastgrave rulebook here, and it's got a little snippet about them. Uh, amidst the shattered ruins of the Citadel, known as Gryphon's Watch, dwells a twisted court of ghouls. Uh, they refer to themselves as the Grimwatch and serve their ghoul king, Gorfang. <laughs> the greatest of Gorfang's courtiers, Duke Crackmarrow, who I assume is the guy Ooh. with the halberd, uh, has yeah. now been charged with a truly heroic undertaking. Crackmarrow and his chosen retainers are to quest deep into Beast Grave and slay the great monster that King Gorfang is convinced lurks there. This abomination <laughs> must die, lest it descend upon <laughs> the lands of the Grimwatch and devour the king's noble subjects. Such is the illusion that drives Crackmo and his pack of deformed horrors into the unsecoring depths. That's a nice little sting. I love Flesh of the Courts. Mm. These models are incredible. I take umbrage with their paint scheme, but they are so good. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. L- literally, Thank all you. you do, paint them in the, the pallid flesh scheme with the red hands, one of the other ghoul courts, and they would be awesome. <laughs> As they're, li- they're a little green in the official colors for my taste, but the official colors, some official colors. Um, yeah. It's just seeing ghouls using more implements than just bone and like teeth and stuff is really cool. Like 
Duke Crackmarrow, the leader of this band, presumably, is holds a big rusty halberd. There's yeah. a guy with like two meat hooks, which is <laughs> cool. real weird and creepy. There's a ghoul wearing armor made out of someone's ribcage. Mm. There's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, and vampire bats, which no one expected. No. So oh, the, 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 yeah. they keep they keep bringing back old school stuff. Um. Yeah. No, these guys look <laughs> great. And um, if you if you can't get your hands on an arch regent, the guy with the halberd makes a good arch regent for your flesh eater court. Mm. So uh, go with yeah. that. Uh, yeah. That's a good show, actually. It's, mm. it's nice as well because these are the first ghouls to appear in like from that are made for AOS mm. as well, aren't they? Because obviously yeah. it's still the oldest apart from the the. Yeah. that you just said but yeah it's it's very encouraging again if like in in the future they look to update them because again if they're mm. you know it's, it's similar to when we saw the the uh the obviously the seraphon blood bowl team and like oh great yeah. if, if seraphon yeah. end up looking like these amazing it's a similar sort of thing <laughs> where like, oh great if they update fleshy to courts mm. you know mm. long term then uh, yeah these yeah. look amazing uh, but, I mean, yeah I mean, i'm really impressed yeah, exactly. I'd say Flesh Eater Courts in general look pretty good. Like, the basic ghouls mm. could maybe use a little update, but, like, their big guys are all pretty pretty cool. It's just they need more variation, which this is the beginning yeah. of that. So, yeah. Mm. It looks looks great. Yeah. Um, so, tell me what's going on in Middle Earth, Matt. Uh, you're, our <laughs> resident, you're our resident Tolkien <laughs> lover. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I'm the Tolkien lover. Um, yeah, so, basically, the King of the Dead... And his heralds are uh, also up for pre-order now, uh, which is very good for me because I can literally see my 30 Warriors <laughs> of the Dead on the shelf that I built <laughs> recently. So, yeah, he's got an updated model, which they announced a little while ago because he was he was metal. Mm. And so I think the heralds yeah. were as well. So, yeah, he's he's looking great because he's looking very, very similar to the uh, to the movie as well. And, yeah, you can now get the set with the king and the heralds which I'm, you know, I think I will get at some point as well, because I think the good thing is with the dead in in Middle-earth is they're probably the easiest thing to build and paint, <laughs> to mm. be fair. One colour, <laughs> there you go, off you go. <laughs> Hit them with a lot of contrast. So, mm. yeah, so they're out now, or not out now, they're up for pre-order, I should say. And also you can get the glow-in-the-dark dice as well. Yeah, if, which uh, is that, cool. <laughs> which is yeah never a bad thing so that's really cool and also they've they've put up for pre-order the profile cards as well which is obviously very similar to the war scroll cards that you see in aos but obviously for mm. middle earth lord of the rings and yeah again that's never never a bad thing as well it makes the game obviously easier to play yeah. so no that's very it's very mm. cool that they're still supporting middle earth with these things that they don't yeah. really need to do you know as in <laughs> going back to the king of the dead you know most people would probably make do with the the the, the old metal one or, or make their own but uh, it's no i think it's fantastic he's getting an update as well and also the fact that it's not long after he was revealed because he was only revealed mm. fairly recently i can't remember like uh, based on what event oh three it was the weeks um, ago or so yeah it? something like that it was uh, it wasn't long ago was it so that's very cool that they're you know they're not hanging about out he comes mm. and yeah yeah looking forward to it as well, um, I think the profile cards are uh, direct as well. I think mm. so. That's obviously something uh, people need to know. Um, oh, actually, saying that, looking at the dice on the website right as, at this moment, they're no mm. longer available online. <laughs> they're gone everyone already. Bought, everyone <laughs> bought these beautiful glow in the dark dice. Yeah. <laughs> they are That's literally fair. gone. Okay, fair enough. 
Well, <laughs> maybe you'll find some on eBay. <laughs> yeah, probably will. <laughs> oh, I did. Um, so the last bit of uh, news is uh, a little bit of heresy stuff, which is the mm. White Scars Kaiser Gan Assault Speeder is now out mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. pre-order as well, which, again, obviously, if you're into your White Scars, looks very cool. And, uh, yeah, that's up for, uh, out, for, out next week, I think, as well. So that is £63 over here. And But, you know, it's a really cool-looking vehicle. Again, yeah. I suppose it depends if you're into that or not. So <laughs> very cool. Mm. Again, that's something that, that it's nice that the, they're starting to almost, it, or it feels like at the moment, they're starting to get the backlog out now before the bigger, yeah, the new, brand yeah. new stuff. Because obviously we know in the next couple of months we're going to see the Bone Reapers and obviously the Sisters of Battle, you know, mm. and obviously whatever comes of Psychic Awakening. Um, is I think you can tell that they're getting rid of the stuff that they've announced in the last few months. Like, right, let's get this all out at the same time. Yeah, and then yeah. They sort of frees up their schedule to, to get the bigger stuff out potentially mm, yeah so awesome. right okay um i think that's all the the news for this episode so we'll take our next break i think and then when we return we're going to talk about commander farsight and his Yay. 500 names back soon <laughs> and we're back ready to get stuck into commander farsight and all the lovely things he's been up to so it's uh education time i suppose it's i suppose the last few episodes we've been doing we've done a few novels recently haven't we so it's nice to actually do something uh, a bit more educational mm. and uh tell you about the probably i suppose arguably the most famous town character i presume i'd say yeah. so yeah the most well known at the very least yeah mm. yeah exactly so mm. And we thought, let's let's you know, let's give the Xenos a bit of uh, attention as well. Mm. You know, that's always a always a good thing. So uh, so yeah. So basically, for this uh, main law topic, Cameron and I are going to basically tell you certain bits about Farsight. Obviously, we can't tell you everything because otherwise we'd be here a long time because he does have quite a bit <laughs> to him. So mm. so fundamentally, we'll do. I'll, I'll start with a quick little overview of him and then we're going to basically pick the prominent sort of battles and wars that he's been part of because that fundamentally Mm. shapes him and then uh, sort of just wrap it up with you know what he fights with who he fights with and and such like so so yeah be a nice little bit of a bit of learning going on (laughs) so right so (laughs) who is commander farsight well he is chasso viola chauva Kais Montier is his hey, full name. name. It's, it, is, yeah. it's a, it is a hell of a name. Uh, or you could just call him Oshova. That's his main name that isn't Commander Farsight, because obviously that's his sort of uh, name given to him by his fellow Tau for what he's most well-known for. Uh, and like I said earlier, he's, you know, yeah, he's arguably the most well-known Tau character, most famous and probably the most controversial, I would argue mm. as well, depending on which way and which uh, ethereal you talk to. <laughs> so uh, yeah. he's well known also for being the leader of the uh, rebel colony, the uh, the far site enclaves, which I think we'll be covering uh, a bit later in this section. Uh, he's known as also one of the protégés of Commander Puretide, again, one of the most famous uh, Tau commanders of all time. He's uh, so, you know, he's the, he was the, at once the, the Padawan, to uh, Pure Tide's uh, <laughs> Jedi 
uh, or mm. Sith, depending on which way you look at it. <laughs> so, as I made reference to, obviously, Farsight and his name that he's been given, I mean, he named Farsight primarily because he's most well-known for predicting basically what the enemies will do next, and that's both both as a fighter warrior when he was learning, but also to him as actual commander as he uh, went through all his different forms of training. Uh, he's an expert leader, known for his martial prowess, leading his fire cast, and also probably most well-known for taking on orcs, uh, you know, primarily. Uh, he's uh, very uh, against the grain, really, when it comes to fighting, because he's a big advocate of uh, close combat warfare, which obviously yep. is kryptonite <laughs> to, <laughs> to the Tao Empire. <laughs> so, he, you know... He, the one thing you need to understand about Commander Farsight is he he does think outside the box. He is not indoctrinated as such. Well, he is now uh, not indoctrinated to the way of the Tau Empire and uh, the restraints by it. But again, we'll get onto that in a bit. So, you know, and again, a common theme you'll see with Farsight is that sort of rubbing, rubbing against the authority of the Tau Empire, the way they, the greater good. I mean, obviously that's still a thing for him, but again, he's mm. come to realizations over time that, you know, the Tau Empire is a bit, or particularly the, uh, the ethereal cast is not what they seem. So, you know, there's it, like certain wars like the, um, the Arkuna Shah war, uh, mm-hmm. he felt very unsupported during that, um, which again, like I said, is something you'll see often referenced when it comes to Farsight. So he's originally from Viola. Uh, as you would imagine, he excelled at a very young age, uh, almost sort of three, four Terran years ahead of everyone else that was part of his, uh, his sort of year <laughs> at that time, <laughs> uh, which as you would imagine, obviously the time being very, uh, you know, very much about learning, but obviously very regimented with the way they do things. Obviously, this caused his teachers to you know, chat amongst themselves, really, and obviously uh, to uh, you know to keep an eye on him, really, because also they spotted mm-hmm. his potential at such an early age that it obviously was something a bit out of the norm for them. Uh, he was originally, you know, at this point he was named Sho, uh, which in Tao language means inner light. Um, again, it's referencing that predicting the next moves of, of his enemy and obviously adjusting his team to uh, to accommodate that. So as you would imagine, he graduated and under the attention of, of Commander Puretide, uh, after he'd gone through his graduation and obviously got all this attention on him, on himself he was sent on his first mission he was part of a uh, fire warrior team at the time and you know he, to the to again to another thing to highlight is information and data is very important to the tag but particularly to farsight you know when he was traveling mm. to the planet he was going to be fighting on he's absorbing all the information at the water cast which are the you know the sort of uh, i suppose the busy bodies of the time by um <laughs> could give him so he was absorbing information while you know obviously the rest of his teams were just you know just waiting to get to where they were supposed to be going uh Mm -hmm. so as again as you would imagine he as well as excelling in that he excelled in the fighting side of things he was to the point where he's at this time he was even also the source of the tactics as well so even though he was a fire warrior and obviously he had you know authority above him he was often the one that was coming up with ideas of how they could tackle the next situation um and also it just shows that the that his team were willing to take on his information because again you know with with their cast system being very regimented and you know and obviously within the casts themselves that you know it showed it obviously showed what a prominent tactician he was even at that early age uh he Mm. obviously became recommended for promotion he then underwent 
the trial of fire or met the first of many trials of fire which is obviously where they this is their way of dealing with promotion so he you know a lot of the time for the tower empire it's involving simulations and things like that so he ended up dying in it in his first trial of fire but uh that was actually the main point. <laughs> so he was given the rank mm-hmm. of Chassui and was now granted access to the battle suits, which, come on, that's where you want to get, isn't it, really? Who oh, doesn't yeah. love a battle suit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he learnt, uh, starting out to use the, uh, the I think it's the XV-88, the broadside, uh, and obviously, you know, he soaked up the information on how to use these. But as you can imagine, again, relating to what I said a minute ago, he wasn't a fan particularly of being a broadside uh, pilot because fundamentally you're fighting at the back providing you know cover support whereas he wanted to be up you know getting stuck in mm. his next <clears throat> trial of, of fire led to promotion mm. and finally he was given his xv8 crisis suits which is obviously the one he's most well known for uh at this point he started fighting under mm. a uh a uh, commander known as Dawnstone uh, and went through another trial by fire, uh, obviously a simulation where and ended up with her getting attacked by these like arachnid type aliens. Uh, he acted as a bodyguard for her and that obviously led to him passing the test. And obviously now he'd gone through all these different ranks and now he became a com- officially known as a commander in training under uh, commander pure tide at this point. So uh, it got all very Zen at this point, <laughs> you know, he climbed a mountain Found uh, Pure Tide uh, <laughs> doing a bit of yoga on the top, <laughs> a bit of Tao <laughs> yoga. I don't know if there's a, a market for that mm. at all, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he basically tried to, um, He basically trained under Pure Tide at this point, and obviously that's where he came across obviously the to be Commander Shadow Sun, obviously another very well known Tao, and uh, effectively he you know he specialised in what was known as the Montcar, which is the the killing blow tactics of the Tao. And basically, once all their training was done, he went on his merry way out in the big, wide world, um, Mm. dealing with all sorts of Xenos, Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So one of his first big campaigns was the one against Wadok, which uh, obviously orcs. Um, So there was a particular planet the tower settled called Akunashar, I believe is the term. Yes, Akunashar. This is a planet. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> um, this is a, this is a planet covered like top top to bottom in rust. Um, which my favorite little detail here is that uh, it's all it's all oxidized metals of different kinds, uh, which indicates that there used to be giant metal structures as big as mountain ranges covering the whole planet, and something reduced them all to dust. And all the Tau Earth case are like, what kind of natural disaster could have happened? This planet's very stable. And um, secretly, it was the Imperium of Man. Of course, it was the Imperium of Man that just <laughs> destroyed this planet entirely. Uh, but the Tau settled it. It's all good. Uh, until the Orcs show up. Um, so a strange solar storm erupted that appeared to make odd symbols in the sky. And as soon as it subsided, the uh, the atmosphere was essentially full of Orc landing ships, which an Orc landing ship is called a rock. It is literally an asteroid with a few safe spots drilled into the center of it, filled to the filled to bursting with orcs. Um, as v- it turns out to be very hard to defend against, especially when it presumably from that description pops out of a warp rift, uh, having come out of warp travel. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, after about a week, the planet is more or less completely overrun, and young Commander Show is sent to uh, attempt to retake it. Uh, and you know, it's fine. 
It's absolutely fine. It's just, you know, the entire population is crammed into a few domes, completely surrounded by orcs. They're constantly beating on the plastic, hollering, trying to find a way through this meters thick barrier that they can't quite pierce. Uh, and, you know, they're just running out of time because they're running out of food, water and air. And, uh, basically, there's no, there's no battle in space. He has, doesn't have to do any fancy space commander stuff. All the orcs are down on the surface. They've crashed all their ships to get there because that's how orcs work. <laughs> uh, they are, they would like that. Um, this is an interesting planet to fight on because it has these things called the red storms where it's obviously a massive sandstorm, but it whips up all this oxidized rust and metal and it's very dangerous. So he's sort of trying to work against and with the terrain and climate and, this is, uh, it's not one of the very first times the Tau encountered orcs, but orcs are still relatively unknown in the teachings of the Tau Empire at this kind, at this time. Uh, so, uh, they don't know a lot about orcs, and they are particularly confused by the fact that once they start tracking individual orcs' movements, it turns out if they go do a fight and then come back, they get bigger. Which is concerning. <laughs> um, so it's like this, this is this is a battle of the uh, war of the towers, slowly discovering just how messed up orcs are. Uh, <laughs> Amen. Um, yeah, all, all they want to do is fight, and uh, show is sort of meditating on this concept and finds he can really relate to that. He loves risking his life in combat for the greater good. Like it's something he can really get behind the idea that there is such a thing as a good fight, and that's something worth wanting. Um, and you know, this is his beginning to understand the orc psyche, beginning to unlock the secrets that will let him just completely destroy them perfectly, strategically, with that far sight that he'll be known <laughs> to have. Um, yeah, uh, essentially, up until this point, whenever the Tau had declared war against alien civilizations, the Firecast had held the upper hand, either in technology or numbers. They definitely had the upper hand in technology here, but, um, they were definitely severely outnumbered. Uh, a, a lot of training simulations have the firecast being outnumbered, of course. The most severe of which let them be outnumbered up to 10 to 1, which is a terrible situation to put yourself in. Uh, a rough estimate, however, said in this particular case, they were outnumbered at least 400 to 1. Uh, <laughs> it turns out, uh, yeah, they didn't account for orcs in any of the training simulations. They weren't really there. Oh, sorry, I just had an eyelash in my eye. I got it. <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah, he would have. Um, yeah, and so this is a, this is basically the first time the Tower War Machine is tested in the least favorable conditions possible, i.e. against an enormous enemy force that loves close combat in harsh desert territory, which can be a little more difficult for them to survive and traverse because they're smaller and less physically strong than a lot of the other species in the galaxy. Uh, yeah, it, it's... Um, interesting uh and basically farsight well it's not farsight yet osho realized at this point we can't <laughs> we can't beat them with raw strength of firepower or just raw martial power at this point we have to use the <laughs> weapons of the mind rather than the gauntlet because uh, he's, he's he's cool he's full of good good sayings and about this kind of stuff mm. um and to clarify his intent, he took an ornamental sword off the wall, stabbed it through the command throne, and then snapped the sword in half. Uh, presumably the idea behind this being we have to meet them and trap them at a point where we can break them rather than simply meet them head on in a clash of sword on sword, I believe is the idea. 
Um, it's a it's a good metaphor that apparently became very famous in the Firecast. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's basically he established something called the Way of the Broken Sword, uh, which is essentially guerrilla tactics. Mm. Um, they 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 figured out that uh, if you kill enough orcs from long range to sort of get them panicking and worrying, and then you withdraw. The orcs immediately begin fighting amongst themselves and inevitably kill a few more of themselves as they attempt to, like, reestablish who's in charge. Um, and so, essentially, they they figured out that at the end of that, it was always the biggest orc that restored order and took charge of the group again. Um, and basically, the Tau had been functioning on under the assumption that the orcs were a very organized military race because... They were obviously a very militant race, um, and they were everywhere, and they were somehow swarming all of their compounds all at once, and they had their supply chains worked out, and everything was working fine for the orcs. So clearly they had a very complex command structure that was very smart. And it, no, it's just whoever's biggest is in charge, and that gets stuff done. It's simple. <laughs> you can't you can't just break it that easily. Um, <laughs> basically... Uh, they had, they had to target the strong ones in charge and try and begin whittling them down. There was a, a period known as the thinning. The great thinning was a year long period where they would essentially stealth assassinate orc knobs and war bosses, let the infighting deal damage, kill a few more of the bigger orcs that would attempt to begin to restore order, let the orcs fight amongst themselves, kill some of the bigger orcs that, the orcs that attempt, and so on and so forth. Um, essentially trying to keep this, uh, this very simple command structure from ever forming and using the inevitable chaos of orcs vying for power to sort of thin down the numbers a bit as well. Uh, and you know, this, this worked very well, uh, and it gave Osho a lot of information to work with. Uh, after a while, he figured out the glyphs that orcs use as tools to write with, uh, but also the orc language, um... And now, as he was watching recorded events, he could tell his officers what was going to happen slightly before it happened. Uh, and, you know, they all joke that, you know, he must have seen the recordings already, but they knew that he could understand exactly what was going on. He knew what they were saying to each other. He knew their different allegiances, and he could predict the outcome of these recorded fights. Uh, and so this is where he began to get the moniker Chauvin, which is farsighted. So this is the beginning of Command of Farsight. <laughs> it's literally, it's interesting because it's a name. You go, this is a tower character named Farsight. You would assume it's because he has a sniper rifle. No, it's <laughs> no, nope. because he it's it's much more meaningful. He is intelligent. Yeah. He's predictive, um, and you know he uh, he used this to great effect. He sort of trained everyone. If you see a vehicle with boss, mech, or dock written on it, you shoot that vehicle first because either it's someone in charge, someone who can keep things running, or someone who can keep the orcs in the fight. You don't want any th- any of those three. Um, and this really began to slow down orc response times. Uh, Tau can't actually speak orcish. Apparently their throats and tongues don't work exactly the same way. Mm. So instead, they recorded orcish insults with stealth drones and then would play <laughs> them back into the orc radio network to incite fighting between different clans. Uh, it's like really intense espionage warfare stuff going on here as well. And, you know, at this time, they're still continuing the, if you, shoot, if you see someone in charge, shoot them immediately, let the orcs fight among themselves, shoot whoever becomes in charge after that. 
Um, and they are basically distracting and disrupting the orcs to such an extent that they're not attempting to attack these Tau strongholds anymore. They're just fighting amongst themselves, uh, which means that Shoval was actually able to get food and water to the people trapped in the domes and free the rest of the military might of Arkunashan, which means he actually got some reinforcements, which is nice. <coughs> Yeah, it's pretty handy. Uh, he's at this point universally known as Oshavar. Uh, everyone's very impressed with him. Uh, but there's one problem, which is uh, orcs are a threat you have to deal with quickly, and he's been at this for over a year. Uh, so the orcs are stealing tower technology. They're getting bigger and stronger as they continue to fight. They're getting into the comms network. They're getting battle suits and stealing all the bits. Uh, you know, wherever they shoot down a devilfish, suddenly they have a truck that can hover uh basic orc <laughs> nonsense uh you know they they make it weird and crazy and f- uses a lot of petroleum burns all with all this gas and smoke but it's essentially the orcs are getting anti-grav tech which is pretty awesome um <laughs> yeah uh and you know uh the best part of this is uh the orc vehicles were up armoring to counteract the fact that any important vehicle would immediately be shot to pieces and they did this by dragging up metal scrap from underneath the rusted dunes. And the accidental upside of that for the orcs was as soon as they bolted this all over the vehicles, the vehicles looked like part of the landscape. It was accidental camouflage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the orcs were being able to make surprise attacks more and more frequently. And uh, some some investigation by the aircase air case turned up the reason uh, veteran orcs that had been fighting since the start of the invasion had actually developed a thicker skin that could withstand the rust storms, uh, the red storms that uh, that literally sandpaper you to death, and the orcs are just walking around to them like it's no problem, doing surprise attacks. <laughs> when the tower like, oh, there's a rust storm, we don't have to keep watch right now. Um, you know, it's a uh, it's pretty rough. Uh, Farsight hadn't really expected them to be this resourceful, but he was beginning to really appreciate uh, their, their their natural physical advantages. Like any other enemy force at this point would be severely weakened after like a year of the command structure being worn down, of infighting, of having to scavenge gear. But the orcs that remained were incredibly strong at this point. Um, the orcs were probably in a better better state than when they initially invaded the planet militarily speaking uh and they just didn't realize where all these they couldn't figure out where all these orcs were coming from so they had to start looking into orc reproductive biology this is where the tau (laughs) yeah this is where the tau got really confused um (laughs) and yeah essentially uh they did eventually figure out that orcs are fungal spore shedding creatures in nature um which is awful <clears throat> because the effect of this is they found this out. They sent a drone out and in the morning when the dew settles on the dunes of this rusted desert world, uh, some of those dunes collapse and a whole bunch of orc boys stand up like freshly grown, ready to, ready to go to war. Um, which is, uh, not great. This is really sort of beginning to hit morale. Everyone's really impressed with Farsight and then they get the news that actually there's more orcs than when we started and they're stronger. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not really good for morale. Uh, like, this is, this is, from the Tau point of view, this is ridiculous. This is a race they haven't been able to reason with. It's a race they haven't been able to summarily crush with military might. Um, and to add insult to injury, they're not civilized orcs. Like, they're, they're running around, they're yelling, they're shooting in the air, they're fighting each other for no reason, but they just can't be beaten. Orcs are 
the best. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, but you know, Commander Fireside's doing his best to keep spirits up. There's a lot of positive propaganda being spread. Um, you know, they're getting all the cool videos of Farsight flying around in his suit with his plasma rifle going, Wah. um, and Farsight has eventually come to the conclusion that this propaganda is good, but morale is still going down. The reason the orcs are better than us is they aren't bothered by anything. Um, True. yeah, like they can lose 90% of their forces in an assault and then the remaining 10% will kill anything they hit because they aren't demoralized. They're happy to fight. Uh, and you know, we're also not that good in close quarters combat. Um, and to begin to counteract this, uh, it's, it's a tradition amongst great military leaders to write a very important book. Genga, uh, Sun Tzu, I was going to say Genghis Khan for some reason. Sun Tzu wrote The Art of War. Raboot Gilliman wrote The Codex of Studies. And Commander Farsight wrote The Book of the Beast, mm. uh, which was essentially a combat guide to understanding and emulating the orc mindset in combat. Uh, which is, yeah, it teaches you how to think like an orc, to understand their language, even to fight like them in close combat. Uh, and this had a big boost on morale because everyone read this book and went, oh, wow, Commander Farsight really understands these guys. Maybe we do have a chance after all. Uh, and, uh, it really changed up how they fight. This is where Farsight gets his fondness for close quarters combat, not necessarily hand to hand, but like within, within 30 feet instead of 300 meters shall we say <laughs> um so like uh they did a lot of things like they would goad orcs into charging lay down a series of flashbang grenades and then just shoot them all while they were rubbing their eyes confused um all that kind of stuff i mean even if they had to they could club them to death with enough uh with enough plasma rifle barrels if you <laughs> if enough tau walk stand around an orc and hit it it will eventually fall down it just takes a lot more work um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, you know, they, they essentially got... The, it's a dangerous tactic, obviously, because you're letting orcs get close to you, but it appeared to be working, and it really fired up the fire cast, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> like, they, it really got them into this warlike spirit. They were really, not necessarily enjoying, but really passionate about following this new code of combat. Uh, and they'd been on the defensive up until this point, but now they went, no, we can, we can be on the offensive, actually. Um, the crude mercenaries were eating dune orc flesh all day, every day, slowly adapting till the crude too could walk through the red storms and ambush the orcs right back. All this kind of, uh, all this kind of action stuff, and slowly but surely they began to retake the planet. Um, they did lots of things. They, you know, where they could trap people in gorges. Uh, orcs go around in big caravans of multiple vehicles. So if they get into a gorge, you shoot the vehicle at the front, you shoot the vehicle at the back, and no one can drive out. Um, essentially using the terrain to their advantage. Um, uh, but yeah, it basically began to work really well. Um, however, you do need more soldiers to win a war. Farsight respectfully requested reinforcements from Violar. The war hung in the balance, but if he could get one good assault in, he would absolutely win. He'd take back the planet. Um, and, uh, the ethereals on Violar said, yeah, no, we're going to send you, uh, we're going to send you a ship. Uh, and a lone orca drop ship appeared and out of it walked two honor guards and a single ethereal. That's all the reinforcements <laughs> he was allowed to have. Um, thanks. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's really good for morale. And Ethereal came to, like, hang out with us in person. That means we're trusted and everything. But we asked for an army. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Um, he was an experienced Ethereal. And he was basically here with a plan. Over the next few years, you were going to withdraw entirely from Arkunashar. No more attacks. No more killing blows. No more Montcar. Only defense. This plateau that they sort of had their main base on would be a fortress they could use to sort of break the orcs against. Um, and this is this is for the greater good. This is what the Tau Empire has determined is the best course of action. Let's leave this planet alone, actually. The orcs are here. <laughs> They've crashed all their spaceships, so they can't leave. So we're just going to leave them to it. <laughs> Fair shot. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, to Farsight's credit, he was very annoyed with this, but he did follow orders um and slowly but surely uh defended this one position and evacuated an entire planet which is a lot of work um but you know uh it worked pretty well and then a year later the fire case came back the fire case returned to akunasha um and with exhaustive cartographic information and the book of the beast to guide them they effectively completely slaughtered the orcs now that they actually knew what they were up against. So, you know, the, their idea was they would withdraw entirely, wait, build up their strength, understand, get an exact plan down, and then, boom, whole planet gone. I mean, the planet's <laughs> still there, obviously. Whole planet's worth of orcs gone. Um, and, you know, however, uh, Farsight wasn't there for that battle. He'd been called off somewhere else to fight a new terrifying foe. Matt, who was that? Mm. Oh, it's just those bloody humans again, isn't it? Just those <laughs> Imperium <laughs> man getting involved in things. Uh. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, they tire me out. So, yeah, they uh, <laughs> probably one of the most well-known uh, Tau conflicts, which is the Democles Gulf Crusade, uh, which obviously, mm -hmm. well, in the law was quite a few years ago. So, so the Democles Gulf was a, a sort of a, basically a dangerous area that, that mm. they, the Tau managed to learn to travel by the use of a what was known as a ZFR engine uh, to basically you know, cruise across the the Gulf. Um, and obviously, you got to remember that the the Tau's way of being isn't always to you know kill and take over things with the use of terror. They they ended up meet you know meeting human worlds and colonizing them mm. basically without violence. They managed to. You know, because obviously it was that sort of slowly, softly approach. So they would come across a colony, a human world, and, you know, within a year or so, they would have, you know, wouldn't have fired a single shot. And, you know, they would have, you know, basically welcomed as part of the Tau Empire. But as you'd imagine, um, this doesn't go down well with uh, the Imperium <laughs> of Man, especially the High Lords of Terror, uh, because obviously it gets to the point where they're like... Um, you know those planets out there in the Gulf? Yeah, uh, they're mm. not paying us any money. Oh, okay. Well, we like money. Um, why are they not paying us money? Oh, um, well, just to add insult to injury, they're not paying you money, and they've now converted to a Xenos race. Uh, oh, okay. That's not cool. Um, so, the dip, you know, being the diplomats that the Imperial Man are, they send a whole force out to crush the Tau Empire, um, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> so, so uh, the Imperial forces uh, get sent out, uh, primarily targeting the Dalth Sept planet uh, as a sort of key strategic point to to uh, to mm -hmm. take out. Uh, so, obviously, the the thought 
process, you know, behind the Imperium at this point is to obviously take back the planets that have been taken away from them and then obviously go on and, you know, ultimately, like I said, crush the Tau Empire if they can. So obviously, like I said, they send the, their ships out and basically use them as almost like a battering ram really to, to make them, them themselves way through the Gulf. So obviously, you know, the Tau are not used to this type of enemy at this point, Mm -hmm. we'll say the Tau Navy. So their weaponry is not really making any difference to the Imperial ships at this point, but the advantage the Tau have is that their ships are very quick and obviously can, mm. you know, outmaneuver them. And again, this is a common theme and uh, that you'll see in the, across this particular war, that it's basically two forces that are very different to each other, as you would imagine, on lots of levels. But obviously from a war pe- uh, warfare point of view, they, you know, fundamentally are very different and sort of, you know, a lot of uh, backwards and forth sort of situations. So, you know, knowing that there's the, this imminent threat on the, the horizon, Farsight and Shadow Sun are basically, you know, briefed mm. and updated with the situation and sent out to obviously defend their home. So the next sort of stage of the war at this point is the, you know, the air cast. So the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, like I said, the, the flying squadrons of the Tau <laughs> Empire are basically inspired by, you know, Farsight speech, as Cameron said earlier. He's very good at giving us, but, you know, he, he gives a good <laughs> speech, that lad. Oh, you know, yeah. He, he, can, oh, he's, yeah. Uh, he knows what he's talking about. So he, you know, he spurs them on before they go out and fly. Uh, the, yeah, well, that now would be the Astra Militarum. Uh, basically, drop their, you know, put their drop ships in. So they basically firstly start with aircraft and then follow a bit later with troops and tanks. Obviously, their way of fighting. So they basically heavily, you know, bring down their forces upon the planet. Um, in sort of counter attack, the Tau basically use a, a net. Uh, in air quotes, really, to basically it's like a formation of drones and around their mm. uh, about around their sort of situation, really, to you know basically take out as many uh, of the of the Astra Militarum uh, troops that they can before obviously they they make planet side. Um, obviously, to counteract this again, same thing we'll see a lot <laughs> is that basically Space Marine gunships were sent down, and obviously you know, being totally different to the Astra Militarum ones. Again, they batter through the uh, the mm. town defences at this point, and particularly their ships, because they, again, don't really know how to deal with them at this point. Uh, and again, at this point, uh, Farsight was very impressed by this all very brutal approach. And again, this is a key thing of his character. You know, he, he's willing, he understands that other races, other uh, armies fight in totally different ways. And obviously just because the Tau fight in this very indoctrinated way, you know, he realizes again, like many things as Cameron was saying, when they were dealing with the orcs is you have to, you know, almost respect your, you know, the opponent you're fighting, you know, to mm. be able to beat them at the end of the day. So like I said, even though this is very anti-Tau, he was very impressed that, Oh, okay. Space Marines are going to batter around, you know, battering around their way through us. Um, so obviously at this point he realizes he needs to bring his, you know, his battle crisis suits into, into the fight. So this sort of leads to a situation where following some research, Farsight orders dual, basically all his, uh, mm. battle suits to ha- to use dual plasma rifles uh, yeah, and yeah. basically whenever a suit <laughs> which is you know best way of dealing with the yeah. uh, the space He's marine ready forces for edition yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They knew exactly. He knows these things. He, he knew mm. exactly. I wonder what his thoughts are on ninth edition. Um, so, so, so you imagine obviously all the battle suits are, are using dual plasma rifles because obviously the space marines are now are now down on the planet. So basically, he also ordered them to use 
the, the a situation where the if the suits got hit or damaged, then a brand new one would come along and replace them straight away. I don't you know don't get completely taken out, just you know back out. New new suit comes in. Uh, so basically, this was very successful for the Tau forces at this point because they basically took apart the Space Marine uh, forces. Um, but he did again use this situation to understand things. So because obviously. Space Marines, knowing no fear, were very defiant. You know, they're getting their legs blown off, but they're still firing their bolt pistols before they're properly taken mm-hmm. out. You notice their apothecaries, you know, taking the gene seed and, and healing mm-hmm. uh, their troops. So, you know, again, he was, you know, again, using the situation to not just beat his enemy, but also under- better understand them as well. Um, this now led to the what's known as the March on Gelbrin, which is one of, the, again, the focal points of this particular area. So, you know, literally, the Imperium, the Imperium forces uh, basically bring out their big guns, so they start bringing down Titans and obviously Bane Blades and Shadow Sword tanks, etc. Uh, and basically, um, again, trying to batter their way towards their hexadromes, which is obviously their key sort of strategic areas and obviously where they spend most of their time. So, you know, <laughs> you had this sort of situation where, you know, to the Tau, you've got these Titans, which are like the Emperor made manifest you know, basically with Farsight and his hunter cadres basically mm. at this point really don't know how to deal with this because again, they've, they've just had to deal with space Marines at this point, And obviously he's realized mm. the tactic, but Titans and tanks of this sort of scale are a completely different situation. So for, at this point, Farsight does, you know, the best thing he can do, which is basically organize an emergency meeting, gets everyone on the call and uh, stealth <laughs> teams uh, basically are used as well as missiles to slow the Imperials down. But he's basically saying to the others like, yeah, we're slowing them down at this point, but they're going to be on our doorstep any minute. Now we, you know, we need to think of an mm. idea. Yeah. So, he at this point decides, right, what's the best thing to do? Let's do an all out attack, counter attack against them. And uh, this is all going well, as he's telling obviously all the other commanders and superiors, this is the plan. Shadow Sun bursts in, doesn't really look at him, and sort of says, right, <laughs> this is what we're going to do, guys. We're going to use stealth tactics. We're going to basically stretch the Imperial forces and then counter, you know, stretch them as far as we can and, and take advantage of their weakness. Obviously, this basically pisses off Farsight at this point because obviously <laughs> you know it's like you'll remember these are two students of pure tide and mm. but you know he thinks okay we'll go with your plan then so her, her tactics work at this point so you know the, what she tends to do is basically use her stealth squads and and such like to basically you know deal with the Imperials in the dark sort of basically blinding them using hit and run tactics pulling them out of position and, you know, so far, so good at this point. So it was mm-hmm. actually a good example of Farsight and Shadow Sun working together. So you have, you'd have Shadow Sun drawing in, like, the Space Marines, you know, stretch them out mm-hmm. of position, and then Farsight would basically, you know, ambush them with lots and lots of suits and using broadsides to, you know, basically cripple their vehicles from afar. And it, like I said, it was having a lot of success at this point. But uh, above them, the aircast are still fighting above uh ovasa which we'll talk about a bit later is you know designing new weapons at this point because even though it sounds mm-hmm. like this is a very quick thing you know this is this was a long war <laughs> basically <laughs> so uh but you know again 
you know, as things are, you know, tossing and turning between the two sides, uh, it swings back towards the Imperial forces because they basically use Space Marine drop pod insertion to, you know, basically get Marines into all the the Tau cities at this point. And they're using Terminators to basically murder everyone in the streets. (laughs) Uh, But it ends up with five more cities getting taken down this way. And like I said, it was, and I remember actually when I've, read one of the other books, one of the Democles books, the, the Marines are very brutal with the Tau. It's sort of, it's quite mm. a prominent thing. It's not just any war that, you know, there's real hatred and, and uh, going on here. So, mm. uh, which is uh, good to know. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, basically both sides are discovering tactics and weaknesses of each other. The Astromilitarium, for example, are winning battles up because they realize that the Tau are not very good at fighting up close. So they, you know, they basically deal with them with guns and bayonets up close and, they realise that's the best tactic. You know, at this point, Farsight is you know studied the Imperials. You know, as part of one of his traits. You know, using he's you know he's using simulations and things like that. And you know, he, he, he you know and at this point, the Marines are basically using the Codex Astartes you know tactics to take down the Tower. And at this point, it's definitely working. Mm. So right, Farsight then basically <laughs> uh, goes right. We need some new new gear. So basically, he orders what's known as a Sun Forge pattern suit, which basically. Uh, has the ability of basically dropping off a Manta, which is those big flying um, vehicles mm-hmm. that they have. So basically they drop down from the Manta on top, onto the top of a, you know, an Imperial vehicle, because obviously Farsight realised these were the biggest threats. They would then basically use dual fusion blasters to blow the vehicle apart. And then they would use their, they would basically, you know, rocket themselves back up onto the Manta, onto the Manta to, for it, you know, to go again, which is, Sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, in contrast to this, Shadow Sun is basically using the sun's rotation to attack the Imperials in the dark. So again, she's adapting, and obviously because she's you know built around the, you know their stealth tactics. In you know, in contrast to Farsight's way of uh, dealing mm. with enemies, you know, they it was you know again swaying it back towards the Tau. So at this point, the Tau forces, though, saying that, were quite stretched and slowly being pushed back, you know, destroyed. Imperials were always having an answer. Um, this led to a bit of a sort of knee-jerk reaction from the Tau, which is, was known as the, the Swords of Pure Tide, which is basically where they would put, like, these neurochip prototypes with that had the memories of Commander Pure Tide into, like, mm. Fireblades and their commanders. Because... Um, you know, and, and was obviously was successful for a point, but obviously then in turn the Imperials had a counterattack, which was their psychers. Because you know, as we know, Tau don't like them psychers; uh, <laughs> they got no way of dealing with them. So again, it was it was jumping backwards and forwards. Um, there was another situation next where where crews were piling out of the you know the tunnel networks and using gun drones to pin the Imperials in place so basically Farsight and Shadow Sun can counter uh, you had another situation which is known as the Siege of Ragatas which is basically where the Imperials uh, dropped uh, outside uh, via this what's known as the City of Light uh, and basically unfortunately this particular Tau city had no real defense apart from a few fire warriors basically Farsight ordered them to basically use their light sculptures to basically do a big EMP, uh, in turn that shut down all the Imperial <laughs> tanks, and then the crews burst out of the the networks and started literally devouring the uh, yeah. <laughs> the tank crews, which is a lovely thought. Um, and like I said, this was slowly, slowly working down the Imperial tanks because again, the they, the Imperial forces were coming to the realization that they had really stretched themselves thin in their in their heads. Obviously, they'd come to here, batter the Tau 
and go back for dinner. And obviously that mm. wasn't really working in this case because obviously the Thai were always trying to find an answer, uh, you know. And, then, and they, like I said, these they were using EMPs. They were, reinforcements were starting to appear from other planets. Uh, both commanders were, you know, drawing Marines in to be taken apart. And like I said, the Imperial forces at this point were just massively thin. Uh, mm. It then basically come to a culmination where... Farsight was ready to take out the retreating forces of the Imperium, uh, but the Ethereals basically, you know, that were uh, around at that time, basically came to him and basically said, "Right, we've uh, agreed a truce with the Hammers of Dawn." Um, the Imperials left. The Earthcast basically started researching any of the tech that was left behind. Um, obviously, this didn't really sit well with Farsight because obviously he wanted to sort of do the finishing blow, but. Uh, it sort of came to the point where the neurochips that uh, neurochips that I mentioned earlier were removed mm. from you know those that have been using them, and they basically turned into these drooling wrecks. And you know, and it just hadn't gone down well with Farsight. They'd won, but you know, they had he, he was it left a bit of a bad taste in his mouth. Yeah, but uh, he had bigger plans afoot at this point. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so this was the beginning of essentially the Farsight Expedition. Uh, so the Tau Empire had sort of actually won, essentially won a battle against the Imperium at this point. They'd sort of, uh, mm-hmm. it was it was a costly victory, I think is the best way to put it, though. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, their, their natural sense of supremacy in the universe had been shaken to its core. Uh, which is ironic considering how the Imperium thinks about itself. <laughs> um, and essentially a plan of reconquest was to be led by uh, Commander Farsight. And uh, it got really weird for Farsight from here because he turned from like a hero into a savior figure. Like every soldier had a, had an image of him in their pocket. There were statues of him going up. Everyone saluted him whenever they saw him. He was like afraid his arm was going to wear out from saluting all day long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a really big propaganda campaign to get everyone really fired up about fighting under the famous Commander Farsight. Um, but it had to be because they couldn't conquer the Democles Gulf with diplomacy again. They had to use force. The Imperium knew about them now. They weren't going to let planets be converted with promises of peace and good times. Um so uh, they they assembled the biggest fleet ever seen in the Tau Empire, and off they set to take all those planets back. <laughs> um, and, you know, a, journeying across the Gulf, uh, Farsight actually spent a decent amount of time in stasis, uh, apparently, which I guess is uh, because Tau travel takes quite a long time, and so to prevent their commanders dying before they get places, they have to freeze them. <laughs> <laughs> As, as the advantage, the disadvantage of not being able to drive straight through hell. Um, but Farsight gathered action reports and drone videos uh, to essentially prepare to fight the Imperium again. Um, and he poured over how the various factions of the Imperium's armies acted. And uh, he realized something. Uh, a lot of them fanatically followed a strict set of combat doctrines. And uh, they were very diligent and precise about it, which, you know, hats off to them. They're very well trained. Uh, but they were so precise and so diligent, so fanatical in following these sets of uh, tactics that Commander Farsight was able to write a, a rough copy of the Codex Astartes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Copyrighted. use it to... 
Yeah, at copyright, yeah. <laughs> Legally distinct. Um and use it to both <laughs> use it to both predict how the Imperium would fight in any given situation. So like, for example, he knew that if he showed this kind of assault was gonna come, the Imperium would respond this way. Uh but he also was able to use these tactics for himself. Uh and so the Tau started fighting a lot like space marines, which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, uh, they would lure, they, they did this against a lot of PDF forces, uh, which is even crueler of them. Um, they would essentially do stage, stage like a small assault to lure people out of position, and then the entire main force would all at the same time drop out of the skies, annihilate every key position, and then immediately withdraw. They're doing like drop pod assaults, but with crisis battle suits, effectively. Um, and it turned out to be incredibly effective. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a caveat to this. The Imperium wasn't fully committed. They had to go fight High Fleet Behemoth over in another part of the sector. Um, so, you know, he's mostly fighting planetary defense forces and stuff like that. He's not fighting the main Imperium's might this time, but he is slowly but steadily winning his campaigns uh, to the point where he is on the verge of retaking the entire gulf. You know, there are a few key victories away from this, uh, but he gets a very troubling report. Uh, the asteroid belts on the outside of the gulf are filled to bursting with orcs. And uh, Commander Farsight thinks on this. He meditates for a long time, and he makes probably the number one most controversial and potentially history-changing decision that has ever been made in the Tau Empire. <laughs> he directly disobeys the orders of the Ethereals and declares that the fleet is going to stop the Democles Gulf Crusade here, turn around and exterminate those goddamn orcs. Because <laughs> <laughs> he knows they are much more of a problem than the Imperium could be in its current state. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, this was the first time that any commander had ever disobeyed directives from Ethereals before. Um, and it was really, uh, mm, it was a, it's a, some would say a cultural issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is just the beginning. Uh, he, yeah, he, uh, he began to wage a war this time in space, uh, not necessarily on the ground directly against the orcs. Um, However, uh, his initial plan, while seeming sound at the moment, you know, pick them off with their superior range, uh, uh, unfortunately, was there's a little bit of a hiccup. The orcs weren't hiding their fleets in the asteroid belt. The asteroid belt was the orc fleet, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is a lot of problem. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a bit of a problem uh, because, sure, you can attempt to shoot down all their ships. It's really hard to find the vital spot when the plasma reactor of a ship is buried several kilometers deep inside a giant hunk of rock that's filled with random caverns full of boys or random bits of armor shielding. Like they're not efficient vehicles, but they're tough to put down. They've all got the ramshackle rule for six up to ignore wounds. Um, <coughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh, essentially the orcs, this also revealed that the orcs weren't necessary here as a war fleet, more as like a colonization fleet, um, sort of hoping to come, Followed, essentially followed Tau and start taking over worlds behind them. And uh, Farsight was really unhappy with this. Uh, made a made a big old plan to essentially do a speed drive by assault on the asteroid fleet. Um, and, you know these asteroids aren't particularly maneuverable, whereas Tau ships uh, outside of the warp at least are incredibly agile. 
Um, and, you know, for weeks they would effectively dance around asteroids one at a time, slowly but surely blowing them to pieces. Uh, but the, uh, the orcs defense here was there were too many of them. <laughs> like every, <laughs> every asteroid in this asteroid belt was another ship. Uh, there was, there's no real way to grind them down efficiently over time. <clears throat> uh, but, you know, eventually, uh, the orcs were not defeated, but worn down enough to where Farsight felt comfortable in telling the Ethereals, hey, it's all good. The orcs are getting pretty worn down. I'm going to send half the fleet back to the worlds we just conquered just to make sure things are going all right. I'm going to stay here and keep fighting the orcs, though. Um, the Ethereals uh, are not quite happy with this, uh, but, you know, Farsight's going to do what he's going to do. He's, he's <laughs> the... He is the military leader of the Tau Empire at this point. It's, it's no one's going to say no to him, at least not directly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the the big revelation here was a uh, commander Farsight found out who was actually leading the orcs. It was Grog Iron Teeth. Um, he's a particularly cunning orc boss. Uh, so uh, you know they were beginning to make planet fall, uh, still scrambling the asteroid fleets. Um, but so the, yeah, the tower light, yeah, the orcs seem to be landing on this planet. We'll land there as well. We'll meet them. We'll crush them. Um, and the tower landed well before the orcs. And then they got a report, which was, uh, the orc fleet doesn't appear to be slowing for descent. It is just gunning <laughs> it towards the planet full force, uh, which is beautifully orcish. Um, <laughs> effectively every this was a this was a tau conquered world it was covered in cities and gardens it was a beautiful peaceful place uh and then asteroids slammed into every city each one killing millions <laughs> of tau on impact um the leader of the fleet was an asteroid shaped like a dagger because what what's more orky than shaping your ship like a weapon um Sorry. and yeah and it uh they crashed that ship into the capital city tau rotasha um, which was sort of the jewel of the planet, and it was obliterated in seconds. Uh, and the orcs, turns out the orcs were just fine. They were deep inside these asteroids, protected by shielding, uh, and not at all bothered by the impact. So not only were all these cities immediately wiped out, hey, guess what? You've got a few billion orcs on the planet again. It keeps <laughs> happening. Um, but these ones are pretty different to the ones from Arkunashar. The ones on Arkunashar were, I would, I would say, your typical orcs. They're pretty tough. They love a good close combat scrap. Uh, these ones, uh, they liked to wear great coats and they used primarily long range weaponry. Uh, these weird cobbled together guns that could blast plasma fire at great distances. They were essentially fly fighting flash kits and freebooters. Um, <laughs> you know, they had, uh, they had captured Tau craft, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, the fire cast is having a rough time, but the air cast shows up just in time. Yeah, it's the, it's the air force swooping in to, uh, sort of just cut down the, uh, the majority of the, uh, the orc force here. Uh, however, Commander Farsight got led into a trap, which is awkward. Uh, it's not, not every day that happens. Um, essentially he got, uh, drawn into an impact crater and then orcs appeared around the entire damn thing and just started swarming down in waves into the middle of it where he was, uh, with his retinue. Uh, 
They can't fire in every direction at once, and so with a few minutes, they are swamped. Uh, and this massive, ostentatious war boss flings himself into the flight, into the fight. Uh, and Commander Farsight uh, orders the battlesuit teams to get the get the hell out of Dodge. Effectively, um, you know, they kill a lot of the orcs, but there's this this emotional wound of I was led into a trap. Did I did I not foresee this? Um, <laughs> No, he didn't, which is, uh, this is sort of his big humbling defeat moment is, uh, orcs outsmarted Commander Farsight at one point, so good on them. Uh, <laughs> eventually they managed to def- destroy the orc invaders, but it was sort of a long and costly campaign. Uh, however, he was really focused on this, uh, on this, uh, problem here on this one planet. And so we went, we finally dealt with all this. Let's go check on the rest of the Farsight enclaves. Oh. They're all under attack by orcs because not all the ships crashed into our planet. We were distracted by that, and some of the ships slipped away deeper into the Democles Gulf. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's not going well. There are orcs everywhere uh, across multiple, multiple planets, uh, all these different planets. And uh, Farsight basically had to stop and think about what had led him to this low point. Like he'd suffered a humbling defeat and then had found out he'd, you know, essentially doomed millions of Tau settlers by saying, yeah, these planets are safe. I'll go deal with this pesky problem over there. Then we'll be all good and uh, not dealing with it. Um, and, you know, he uh, he began searching for wisdom. So, you know, on the ocean world of Violos, he actually dived down into the water in his suit, obviously. Um, and, sat there and began meditating on the ocean floor to sort of seek inspiration from the cold water. After that, he uh, flew off and um, sort of opened opened himself up and sat over the peak of a dormant volcano, feeling the air rush around him until he could understand its movements. And after that trance, he plunged deep into a canyon at the heart of a mountain range, into these sulfurous tunnels, laying on his back, communing with elemental earth learning that slow but impossibly strong anger of like magma flowing underground he's doing he's doing some uh some air bending water bending fire bending <laughs> meditation stuff he's he's having his uh great times and um he he finally his final bit of meditation was he flew into and through a wildfire to the point where his flesh was burned black uh inside his crisis suit um but it got real hot in there, and uh, he began to understand just, I guess, the universe, the law, the galactic laws of physics better and better. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, for example, when um, in a particular situation where the air cast was being overwhelmed by just impossible fleets of orc fighter bombers uh he ordered all of their all of their all all of the aircast pilots to override their consoles consoles and release all of their propellants and then he used his plasma his plasma rifle to ignite that massive cloud of propellant and burn the entire orc air force in one fell motion uh, and then the fireball also scoured the surface clean of orc spores like he's really getting into this uh in the water worlds he uh essentially used seismic detonators to activate all these thermal vents deep on the ocean floor and boil the orcs alive and cause massive tsunamis essentially bending nature to his will as a more powerful weapon than anything he could directly bring to bear in terms of soldiers 
Um, you know, he does similar things. He buries orcs on a rocky planet and then rebuilds the Tau cities on top of their essentially <laughs> mass graves. He gets really, he gets real dark. Um, yeah. Uh, and he also, uh, returns to the adopted homeworld of Veolos and conducts this massive bonding ritual with every fire warrior on the planet at once. And like a big, you know, Tau have this code of honor thing, but like we'll fight by each other's side. We're bonded together. And he does that on a massive scale to reignite morale and then leads the most mercilessly efficient campaign in Tau history to purge this world completely of orcs. <laughs> like, um, you, and at the end of that, he used an artificial firestorm to scour the planet clean to the point where almost no native life survived, but the orcs were gone forever for good. They ain't coming <laughs> back after that. Phew. Yeah, uh, and his only his only concession to the orcs' desires and warfare in this is he did challenge Grog Iron Teeth in single combat and did defeat him. Uh, but apart from that, uh, the orcs would eventually come back, of course, but, you know, Farsight's essentially cemented himself as the key military power in the Democles Gulf here. He ain't going to be taken down by anything uh, so simple as natural creatures. <laughs> Yeah, he's a busy lad, isn't he? He <laughs> really is. You know, and uh, not just dealing with, you know, the Imperial Man, Orcs, etc. You know, he has to deal with things from uh, a certain other uh, parallel universe, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. So basically, there's the what's known as the uh, Molochite Tragedy, uh, which is basically, in essence, his first dealing with uh, chaotic demons. So, uh, so basically. You know, at this point, he, you know, he's followed the orcs to the area known as Arthas Molach, uh, Molech, um, which no real activity is going on at this point. You know, they're analysing the uh, planet from afar. Not really, yeah, so the not really much happening there. So he, uh, they follow it down, obviously, just to finish the orcs off that they've been trailing at this point. And uh, basically, this was known as the, what was named as the Great Star Dies or Days, uh, which is like this basically this eight pillared temple appears out of mm. nothing. Uh, light appears whenever a, a d- orc dies at this point, um, <laughs> uh, which, which again, I think it's like something to do with Stormcast going on here. So mm. <laughs> this, and basically this big disc of energy above, uh, you know, appears above the, the temple, uh, and then it sort of flashes out. And then all of a sudden, crimson to, well, to Farsight's eyes at this point, uh, crimson aliens are now appearing on top of the temple. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden another flash and then these pink, alien figures appear out of nowhere mm. casting fire against uh, against yeah. them and obviously you know they're attacking the orcs they're attacking the tau um and at this point far far sight you know like you said cameron where he's getting a bit dark in places he he, he looks into the disc and you know sort of that uh looking into the abyss and seeing what you know what looks back uh so basically he looks into this disc at you know at the time which obviously realizes is literally the entrance to a you know to him a parallel universe like i said it's that mm. understanding now of the of how shit this galaxy and universe <laughs> really is so he you know he realizes the threat and and it, it's almost like it overloads him and he ends up getting he ends up sort of you know passing out at this point mm. uh so i mean obviously this is the uh the calm before the big battle at this point so he, he wakes up in a in the nearby med uh med bay uh and obviously it, orcs being orcs are attacking these aliens or you know turn out Mm. to be demons so he orders the tau to 
you know, we basically need to sort this mess out, you know, and this is even given the green light by the ethereals there that we need to end this now because this is just going to get out of hand. Uh, so basically, you know, squadrons are, are sent to the planet uh, and effectively looking to take the orcs out at long range. And they'll say, you know, best tactics available at this point. Uh, things go bad, you know, bad to worse. Obviously, wing demons start bursting from this uh, disc as well, um, mm. uh, which... You know, they start getting, you know, obviously the broadside providing, you know, long distance support start shooting at them. One of the demons gets shot down. Another one escapes. A third one, um, and clue is, this is uh, bloodthirsters at this point. So mm. a third one appears and tears the arm off his battle suit. Uh, and luckily there's a, you know, it smashes him into this fallen statue that happened to be near him. And he picks up the sword there, um, mm. which... Mm, you know, just just any day sword you know just yeah, happens to be yeah. there uh which he used to just you know to basically defend himself but causes the uh, bloodthirster to basically fly away so at this point the the tower looked to regroup because you know it's going all over the place at this point so the ethereal known as uh unlos uh gets cleaved in half you know that's Sweet. uh yeah Ooh bit of a flesh wound uh try <laughs> and at this point farsight is literally just trying to make sense of the situation because like <laughs> i said it is just getting literally out of control because you know effectively at this point they're caught between the orcs and the the you know the demons uh, and basically they're using the because there's lots of statues at this particular area so they're using them as uh, shelter uh, and basically farsight notices this what's known like a basically a hexagrammatic medallion on the statue uh, mm. and he sort of something twigs in his brain that this has some connection to do with the demons um so he grabs it off the statue uh you know at, at this point you know he's basically channeling what commander pure tide would be doing at this point is regroup uh use fire warriors to defend put basically put crisis suits to deal with the disc. Uh, and he, the key point he says to all of his troops at this point is don't spill any blood. Okay. Just don't do it. Um, so, you know, they start using their flamers on the orcs and obviously, obviously because they're using their flamer weapons, it's drying the blood. So, and then again, something twigs in his brain because he realizes that basically these particular aliens or demons need blood to survive. Mm. And obviously, cause it's, yeah. uh, it's starting to get uh, burnt up. So the mm-hmm. three, uh, the three uh, bloodthirsters are now aiming for Commander Farsight. He, at the, at the time that they're about to basically collide with him, he flings the medallions because at this point he's been getting any of his troops to grab any of these medallions off the statues. They basically fling mm-hmm. it into the disc, uh, and then that creates like this big back blast, which basically eradicates all the the demons in one go. Um. Uh, at this point, obviously, all the, uh, the Yorks are only ones left, so they clean them up. I don't, I don't mean giving them a bath, mm. I mean actually killing them. <laughs> and uh, so, um, but obviously, it's been a bit bittersweet, this sort of victory, because there's no real celebration as, as all three ethereals that were, you know, with them at this point are basically now dead. Uh, mm. So effectively, they're leaderless. And, you know, at this point, Farsight is greatly affected by what he's seen the you know he's literally dreaming of when he looked into the disc and what he saw looking back at him i think it's literally horrified what what's Mm. actually out there um you know this this event basically sends ripples back to the tau empire uh because you know it's the point when that they think the what they deem as molochites because obviously that's where it was Mm. uh it's just another alien obviously more fool them uh far sight 
you know, obviously in his head, he's thinking this is actually another dimension. You know, I've seen, I've seen demons. I've seen, uh, warp travel, you know, when he's been dealing with the Imperial man, it's like, there is something else out there. <laughs> you know, we are not mm. just in this universe by ourselves. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and he starts thinking that the ethereals are hiding something from him, which they are. Uh, mm. he, you know, he, from it, you know, his perspective now is that he thinks that the cast should detach the so the cast should detach from the ethereals and and you know basically deal from you know get away from this obedience that they're being taught this sort of brainwashed situation mm. they're in. Um, and as I said, as the cogs are turning in his brain, he's realizing that he he himself with this knowledge and this realization, he is the most dangerous thing to the Tau Empire because obviously knowing his status and obviously knowing the things that he's realized is that he could literally tear the empire apart, you know, with mm. his knowledge, it, you know, he yeah. could really wreck things. So basically he flees uh, to, you know, to, he, he sort of takes the situation thing is right. If I go into exile, then I'll keep the secrets with me. That's how empire mm. carries on in, you know, yeah. blissful ignorance, you know, don't <laughs> worry about it. Obviously this leads to, a bit of a odd situation for the empire because obviously they've been sending out probes towards his expedition and not really getting any response. And as time goes mm. on, they basically declare him dead because obviously yeah. from an age perspective at this point, he mm. should be dead. Obviously there's a, yeah. <laughs> a key reason why at this point he's not, but, uh, but then all of a sudden a probe basically comes across the, the far, far site enclaves, uh, realizing that they're, Colors are now changed, uh, and they're basically in a, in a in a colony situation where there's no ethereals because obviously they've all been killed off, mm. and but they're actually managing to survive without them. Uh, yeah. At this point, <laughs> the ethereal on Var is furious, um, because he knows the the defiance that's happened now. He basically makes out to the rest of the Empire that Farsight is a rebel. Uh, he destroys the image of him anywhere. You know, mm. it's basically a big propaganda campaign. Um, and basically the area where the Enclaves are is now known as the Forbidden Zone. Do not go there. Mm. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> at the same time, hidden supporters come out for Farsight. Uh, and to the point where only a single statue is there left, you know, by the Ethereals to basically show as a symbol, you know, of, of defying the you know, the, mm. the ethereals basically if you know you defy us you'll end up like farsight so yeah it gets to the point now where centuries have gone past and even his own enclaves haven't seen him he's mm. uh he's just gone into hiding and he cameron yeah yeah uh but you know sometimes you gotta get you gotta come out of retirement for one last job uh <laughs> And uh, interestingly, right near the end of the 41st millennium, 997 M41, uh, the Farsight Enclaves noticed a strange galactic cloud approaching their area of space. Uh, dun, dun, dun. It's the motherfucking Tyranids. <laughs> um, which is uh, really not a good thing. Um, they, the Farsight Enclaves are like gleaming information from spies and sympathizers in the Tau Empire itself. So they know that uh, a few years earlier, the Tau Empire itself fought a war against High Fleet Gorgon. Uh, and they knew how much of a problem this was going to be. Um, so, you know, the Farsight Enclaves start their resistance. Um, and somewhere out in the desert, uh, someone notices something's wrong. This hermit out there sees that uh, all the local plants are growing like crazy. The skies are darkening with mycetic spore drop pods. Uh, something's changing the substance of his home, better suit his purposes. And he can only think there's a single reason why an invading entity would boost the 
boost the amount of life on a planet while invading, and that's to eat it. Uh, and they're coming to eat his people. They're fattening it like a grok's <laughs> calf before a feast. Um, and old old Farsight's coming out of retirement. He walks out of the desert, uh, walks into the Violos Museum, uh, says, hey, it's me, Farsight the hero of old. Give me back my suit. Um, <laughs> He passed, he passed some genetic tests and the suit works for him. It's like, yeah, no, okay. This is legitimately Commander Farside, like the real, mm-hmm. the real deal. Uh, he's back and the Firecast are really excited by this. Like, imagine like you grew up as a kid and you hear like 200 years ago, there was this amazing, awesome commander. He did all these incredible things. He's the reason you're living in this wonderful place right now. And then you grow up and you become a soldier just because you want to be just like him. And then he just shows up one day. <laughs> It's like, As you do. Hey, I heard, hey, I heard you guys were having some trouble. Uh, so this is, yeah, he's he's basically their King Arthur returning in their hour of need. Well, that's actually a really that's actually a really good. Oh, yeah. I realize Commander Firesight's King Arthur. He's even got Excalibur. God damn it! Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Uh, essentially, yeah, he takes over the war effort. He sort of coordinates the defense against the Tyranids, and it's just not working in the Montcar idea of pinpoint application of deadly power to like key command structures isn't working. It's not because they don't know to target synapse creatures. They know to target synapse creatures. It's just, there are even more Tyranids than there were orcs. You just can't wear them down that easily. You can delay them. You really, you really can't stop them. Um, (laughs) But uh, one of one of Farsight's uh, old friends in the Earth cast uh, had a plan. Instead of the killing strike, will be the patient hunter. Uh, evacuate the planet. Take me and three of my closest Earth cast scientists, scientists to this lab, and we will brew you up something that will end this threat immediately. Uh, and so Farsight agrees. He's unhappy with this idea, but he sees he's wise enough to know that this is the correct choice. Uh, so Farsight and his most trusted seven commanders, wink, wink, this is where the eight became a thing, <laughs> um, escort these four Earthcast scientists. They spend weeks brewing this basically genetic bomb is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, 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 keep this, they keep the group small so that they hopefully don't attract the attention of the swarm. But eventually, you know, they are noticed and the Tyranids approach uh, and... Commander Farsight and the rest and the other seven commanders, the full eight of them, they stand outside the facility ready to sell their lives dearly. Uh, and this is this is just the coolest damn thing ever. It's so cool. I'm not going to describe every little detail of it because it would take the rest of the show. Um, <laughs> but you 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 know the eight is, I believe it's six Crisis commanders, a broadside commander, and a Reptide commander suit. If yep. that's correct. Yep, yep. Yep. So imagine those eight guys fighting an infinite swarm of Tyranids to defend a facility to save the world. It's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tower Avengers. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's, esen- it's essentially, yeah, Tower Avengers. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> uh, but eventually they actually, most of them, a, f- a few of them do die, but most of them survive long enough that uh, they, you know, the genetic bomb is completed. They board the uh, dropship they're using to get the hell out of there. Uh, and one Earthcast scientist is remaining. The other three haven't been killed by Tyranids that managed to get into the facility past them. But the deed is done. They will win this. Um, 
I don't think they might have explained exactly how this would work to uh, Commander Firesight because it takes a few days. Uh, the Tyranids devour the planet. They strip it clean. They go back up into orbit, and Commander Firesight's really bothered with this because as far as he's concerned, there's been no results from this. They've lost. The Tyranids clearly overcame whatever poison it is, and the one Earth guy so I just like, nah, nah, look. Look out the window right about... Check's watch. Now. Uh, and the entire Tyranid fleet slowly begins to crumble and rot away. Um, essentially, the three Earthcast scientists who had died, their final act was to swallow this concoction they had made to use their bodies to essentially form a timer. So until their bodies were completely digested, this uh, horrific plague would not be released um, to make sure that the entire fleet would be infected with it all at once, effectively. Uh, and one by one, uh, the high fleet ships fell and, uh, the far side enclaves successfully, uh, fended off a splinter fleet, not a full high fleet, but a splinter fleet. Mm-hmm. It's pretty impressive. Um, but Commander Farsight knew that this was the expression of the greater good. Those three earth cast scientists willingly giving their lives to sacrifice their lives for the good of everyone else. That's what the greater good is. It's not clever politicking or waging war, but it's self-sacrifice so everyone yep. else can live a better life in your stead. Um, he's used to firecast laying down their lives, but, you know, he's really touched to see another cast doing the same. He rebuilds the planet from a barren waste into a wonderful planet again, but he knows he can't retire again. There are so many dangers out there. It's It's the the end of his retirement. He's back full force command Farsight all the time. Um, and that's where he <laughs> currently is effectively. Yeah. He's yeah. defending the Farsight enclaves from all manner of threats and terrors. Indeedy. And uh, as Cameron touched upon with the eight, his, uh, his mm. crew, wow, wow, wow. So like a, <laughs> so it's like, that magnificent eight. Mm, <laughs> so yeah, like I said, these are you know seven of his most trusted, you know, warriors and colleagues that he would fight against. So I'll just give you a very quick rundown of the seven that are with mm-hmm. him. Uh, so you've got Commander Bravestorm, mm-hmm. which is one of um, well, actually, sorry, I'm thinking of Brightsword. Sorry, Commander Bravestorm <laughs> is in a uh, XV8 zero uh, two crisis suit uh, armed with. Iridium Mantle, or in Iridium Mantle, I should say, life support systems uh, after a particular battle at uh, Black Thunder Mesa, which didn't go particularly well. Uh, <laughs> but despite, you know, the fact that his suit is keeping him alive, you know, he's still fighting with the same vigor he was before. You know, and he, he's rocking a uh, plasma rifle and Onager gauntlet. Uh, like I said, he's got Commander Brightsword. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, basically, he's the, the one of many to use that name. It's like I said, it's not, he's only, not the only one. Uh, he basically in charge of leading their, of their rapid insertion force. He's, you know, rocking dual fusion blasters. And what he does, he, he tends to go for the, whatever the biggest threat is, you know, with his, basically with his fusion blades. Uh, and basically mm. models his fighting tactics on Farsight himself. Uh, you've got Shasso Shavatos. Uh, basically, this is the well, the, uh, the first Tau to basically receive the Pure Tide uh, Neurochip, the one that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and basically, 
he, you know, at that time, Farsight was like, yes, yes, he died in battle, uh, which <laughs> he didn't, obviously. It was all a lie. Um, and basically, he was placed in stasis until a cure was found, uh, which it was. They managed to stabilize the chip, mm-hmm. and now he's back fighting. Uh, basically, he's known as an amazing tactician, um, knows what the enemy's doing. Very similar to Farsight, and, and also rocks uh, plasma, plasma rifles as well. You've got Chasso. Aracon, uh, who's using a XV-85 Enforcer suit, uh, basically in contrast uh, to uh, Brightsword, who targets the biggest threat, uh, they tend to basically target the foot soldiers. Um, and also, mm. he's, a, he's a funny one, because he makes all the others basically review the past battles on video. So they're like, no, come on, gather, <laughs> gather everyone. We need to watch the last <laughs> battle. I've got it on, on uh, pick feed. So um, you've also got uh, Broadside Shasvir Ob Lotan 9-0. So here's the secret. Uh, basically, mm. it's piloted by a late-generation AI engram of Shasvir <laughs> Ob Lotan. Okay, so oh, basically there's no one inside it. Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, which is, I think, awesome. And obviously, mm, you know, being that broadside great. provides a uh, cover fire. <laughs> You've got Subcommander Torchstar, which is a uh, basically a female defector that joined his crew. Uh, basically, she's the youngest, rocking uh, twin flamers, uh, re- nice. known for recklessly charging into battle. So... Mm-hmm. hence the name uh, and then lastly you got Ovesa which I met who I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. uh, he's in a XV 104 Riptide uh, and the key thing to know about him is he's actually mm-hmm. Earthcast not Fire so really he doesn't mm-hmm. have the experience of fighting that the rest of them do um, basically he's inside there kept alive by micro drones but because of how great he is at, at designing tech he's basically created targeting tech to make up for the lack of experience he has that the others mm-hmm. have so he's sort of artificially as good as the rest of them, <laughs> which is really cool. So, mm, yeah, that's, that's cool. the eight. Yeah. Um, and talking of uh, what you're rocking, um, mm. do you want to finish up with the war gear? Yeah. Uh, so Commander Farsight himself pilots an early XV-8 crisis battlesuit model that's extensively modified and customized, customized by Earthcast artisans and engineers over its lifetime. He typically wears deep red in memory of the blood spilt by our, Kun- our Kunisha's fallen heroes and in honor of his own world, Viola. Um, he usually wields the Dawn Blade, which uh, you heard about earlier when he was fighting some demons. Um, whenever he swings it, it flickers with his unknown energy and sort of just cuts through basically anything without a problem. What Farsight doesn't know is it's forged from something called a chronophagic alloy, which absorbs life force and adds a slain foe's remaining natural lifespan to that of its owner. I feel I should point out he's killed demons with this. Um, yep. <laughs> he might be immortal. <laughs> yeah, effectively. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, Commander Farsight would really not be happy if he knew about this, but he doesn't. Nope. He nope. Uh, He's never really asked why he's still alive. I think he's too busy being an old badass to really think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time to dwell on things like that. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, he, ca- he carries a pretty bog-standard plasma rifle. That said, it's a tower plasma rifle, so it's both safer and cooler than the Imperial version. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty cool. It can't overheat, but it's not as powerful. It's still really good against armor. It's pretty nice. Um, he has a shield generator to, you know, he's, he's a tower who fights at close range. He needs something to deflect blows. Um, you can even, uh, shrug off heavy ordnance and anti-tank fire. 
Uh, his one has the Farside Enclave's emblem on the front. Obviously, he's representing himself. Uh, and finally, he has a hardwired target lock, which is a special target acquisition system that lets you engage different targets from your squad mates. Because Tau usually fight all fight all firing at the same person at the same time to you know ensure kill shots and things like that. Mm-hmm. Come out of Farsight, he's good enough. He can he gets to shoot someone else. Doesn't have to do what everyone else is doing. Um, because it's a hardwired system, it's actually most likely a cybernetic system surgically implanted directly into the suit or somewhere in Farsight's body, which is an interesting little detail. Uh, and that's mm. usually what he brings to war. Uh, it's, yeah. it's war gear worthy of such a literal heroic badass. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah, he, like I said, hopefully, you know, by listening to this, you've sort of understood how, what a cool character he is. Because mm. obviously Tao do get so a lot good. of hate. At mm. times and i i personally feel it's a bit unfounded some of the time oh, i know yeah. i yeah. know they get a bit of hate for for well some of the battles we've just described in history where they sort mm. of seem to somehow always manage to do all right but i think that's what's cool about them you know their naivety but also the greater understanding i mean and and farsight is a perfect example of that he's realized that everything's not as cuddly and fluffy as the the ethereals made it out to believe mm. and uh you know, like I said, go go research it yourself as well. I recommend it because it's you know there's a lot to to him. Like I said, we've only just covered certain parts of his history. Um, I mean, there's a couple of novels based around him as well, which I suppose mm. is very good. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's Commander Farsight. Right, cool. Okay, well we'll take our last little break, um, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about dinosaurs. Hooray! Yay! Back soon. Okay. Let's talk Seraphon. So for the discussion mm. topic today, uh, basically we're asking questions, should Games Workshop overhaul the Seraphon law going forward? Um, shamelessly, that I sort of saw <laughs> this off Reddit, so apologies whoever came up with this topic, but um, I had thought of this before and it just sort of reminded me. <laughs> I was like, ah, we need to talk that's about fair. this sometime. Yeah. So yeah, that's where this idea has come from. So uh, so yeah, so the inspiration behind this as well is obviously, as we know, Seraphon are hopefully due an update, you know, going mm. forward at some point, but both mm. from a model and, you know, battle time perspective. Uh, law-wise, they're in a bit of a funny place because they've sort of been a bit redundant for a while and and such like. So, you know, you know, in the, in the AOS world, they are basically, uh, I suppose space angelic demons of mm. sorts, uh, space star demons. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So Cameron, just, you know, what's your thoughts on this in general? Where do you think they, do you think they should stay as mm. they are? Or do you think they should tweak them a bit? I think maybe not necessarily an overhaul, but a clarification I think would be good because for the most part, Yes, they are described as like space angelic demons that are summoned into existence by Slan's memories and things like that. Yep. However, there are there are a few bits where they're described as living physical creatures that are born from spawning vats still, which is technically a holdover from Lizardman in Warhammer Fantasy, but like during the Malign Portance short stories lead ups as well, stuff like that. There was one where Ser- where Seraphon were spawning too early in the spawning pools and they're going nuts mm-hmm. because of it. So like yeah. there's the there's the implication that there's somewhere between there like maybe the one the slands are remembering are actually the ones from the world that was and there are also just somewhere out here seraphon that are living breathing creatures wandering around doing their day to day stuff and all I want is a clarification on that saying 
in battle, the slan use memories because it protects them and means, you know, if they die, it's not too big a deal because it's just a memory that was slain. It's a demon woven out yeah. of starlight. However, the Seraphon are living, are a living and breathing species that is around. They exist. Because oh, that would let things like they could be in Shadespire and stuff like that then. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't want a total overhaul because I, I really like the starlight demon thing. Like the idea that yeah. this is, this is a big, nasty dinosaur with a spiked club and when it gets stabbed it bleeds holy light that purifies chaos is so amazing i love it so much um but i also really love the idea like that archaic that archaic sort of not quite uh, caveman is it's still the Azteca theme, I guess, but like the idea of the spawning vats and this ordered society and structure and like this great plan that they're following. I also really love, and I kind of just want those two to coexist. But if it had to be yeah. one or the other, I would say keep it as it currently is, as in they are the star demons, because I feel that's more uniquely AOS and could also lead to some super cool models and units mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd echo that to be honest because I I I love the fact that they're star demons because they're mm. demons, but they're on the force of order. Uh, they only really care about ca- fighting chaos. Uh, which mm. to me, I think I think my thoughts is give them a war, give them a mm. big war against chaos, yeah. and I don't mean some of the r- weird little mini references you get in there. I mean give them something substantial, like you know, like we saw with the Realm Gate Wars with. You know, when AOS first came out, it was, it was obviously as a way of dealing with the Stormcast and obviously introducing the, you know, Blades of Corn and, and such like. And I, I just think that they need something meaty, like an actual real mm. big event for them to have. Because yeah. at this moment, in any of the books and bits of lore, they just always reference, but there's nothing like centered around them. And it always feels like you've got this, you know, this, uh, this amazing force that can come down from the heavens as such. Uh, brought into being from memories that, mm. that focuses on said destroying chaos, who is the biggest threat to the mortal realms. And they don't seem to be doing much really. Like I know that's be- I know fundamentally that's because GW needs to give them some attention and like, you know, give them something around, but like fundamentally they're just sort of, they're not really, they don't seem to be having any real impact in, in anything particularly at the moment. Mm. And I think when it comes to how they are, I think, I lo- like I said, I, like you, I would keep the, the star demon, the fact they bleed starlight, that, you know, that, love it, absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of my favourite bits mm. of AOS lore. I think the, the only thing, I, I think the memories thing, I'm not sold on fundamentally. Um, I get I get it, as in I, I'm not against it. I just feel there could be a better way, like, because I, 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 you, like, I suppose you're looking at it from perspective that the slan has memories of all these different warriors, but like what, like, mm. like it's almost like they're like, they're not a database, like just yeah. sort of pull them out and go, right, there we go. There's <laughs> that one. And it, it, I don't know. It's sort of, it, 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 it's a funny way of, it's almost, it wouldn't be, be it wouldn't be so bad if they said, right, I'm bringing the, them in how I'd want them to be as opposed to ah, what they yeah. used to be. That I would cool. feel a bit more comfortable with mm. in the sense that, yeah, I, I want a big hulking Saurus warrior. And mm. here he is, bang, rather than like, oh, I remember there was a Saurus warrior that I had a drink at the uh, water pool with and, you know, and, mm. and such like. And I just think it's just a bit of a, 
I don't know. It's not again. I don't. I don't hate it, but I feel like it mm. could be strengthened a bit, make it a bit more realistic. Well, I say realistic. I mean, <laughs> this is realistic, but I just feel that the the memory thing is. I don't know. Doesn't seem. It doesn't seem to fit as much as the rest of it. So I would probably mm. per- personally tweak that. But I fun- I think fundamentally, also another thing is give them some more characters because at mm. the moment is it Croak? Definitely. I think he's the only named char- named character technically. Yeah. Just you know, croak. <laughs> yeah, give, give them give them some more. You know, give them at least another two or three that that have a presence in the mortal realms. That you know, because like you said, every you know, even if you put croak as the as the top at the moment, like if you look at most other races, they've got like you know, a, 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 let's say Sylvaneth for example, because I've been reading their battle time. You know, you've got obviously Alariel at the top, who's obviously mm. I know she's god status, but then you've got like Dryker. You know, who yeah. has an amazing backstory. Like, put, mm. have some, have a, have a Seraphon version of her. Not necessarily a crazy, you know, dinosaur, but I just mean <laughs> it's one that, like, this this Seraphon has some real background. You know, has mm. it was involved yeah. in this war, and then they went and did this. You know, give, give them some sort of personality uh, to them, mm. and I think that's where I want the 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 memories thing to change because I think by putting it in like almost like. You know, the, the slan is almost like a factory going, all right, I want one of these. <laughs> I It's almost like, you know, it, it's sort of, I suppose if you, mm. I know it's a bit of a weird connection, but think about Lord of the Rings. Like for Lord of the Rings, when, when Saruman is building his Urukai, he's sort of, they're created out of the, you know, in these pits and like they're being mm. sort of literally birthed there and then, aren't they? And it's like, right, you're, you are my leader. You're my Urukai leader. I'm going to call you, mm. you know, Jimmy Bob, the the elf slayer, <laughs> and like, you know, and you know that that's the way to me. I'd rather have it. Like they sort of, mm. yeah, we can mm. create them, and then like, and then this Saurus warrior went on to, you know, or this old blood went on to be an amazing, you know, you yeah. know, leader of of Seraphon and such like. And I think the last thing I would leave it with as well is that. I think you know, like you were saying, where they are Seraphon around is because of their. Because obviously they've got this law where they they get beamed down and then they kill chaos and then they get sort of they mm. disappear as quickly yeah. as they came. Leave them around a bit more. I think they yeah. need a bit more of a yeah. presence because obviously every novel you're reading, you know, you'd be reading about Stormcast, but then they'd be talking about humans. Oh look, there's Dwarden, mm. there's elves knocking mm. around. Oh, mm. there's the Sylvaneth. Like have them like as a thing. There, you know, you go to the city of Hammerhall and there they are. Look, there they are. There's yeah. some yeah. Seraphon. Seraphon. You know, yeah. You know, sell, you know, selling, uh, not selling belts, obviously, at uh, the local market. And, you know, just things like that. It just would make it, I don't know, just have a bit more of a presence, really. But mm. I don't think it would take much. I think that's the good thing. No. And yeah. any of these things, if they went and did it, and, you know, GW, we, we know you're listening to us. Um, <laughs> yeah, they definitely are. <laughs> do it. <laughs> so, yeah. But... um I think that's that's about it, really. Um, mm, yeah. I, I, and like I said, I've, you know, if anyone listening, have a have a think. You know, what would you like to see with the Seraphon happening? You know, from a law perspective. I mean, models aside, I think mm. yeah, they've got. I I love them so much. I'm. Oh, they're, yeah. they're one. They're literally one race that I. As soon as they get something new, I'm going to jump on them. I, I can guarantee that. Good. I just want Good. them just to get you know just fleshed out a bit more, but. Uh, mm. Right. Okay. Well, I think I said we've uh, managed to wrap that up quite nicely because you know uh, mm. we were talking about Farsight for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's been episode thirty-seven. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, lastly, where can people find you on the internet, Cameron? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten, uh, where you can find me freaking out about my D&D players nearly accidentally killing the demon god of the undead. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time, was had by all. Uh, how about you, Matt? You could also find me on Twitter at NinjaBadger7. Um, not that I've been putting it on there, but I have been playing a lot of Remnant from the Ashes. Mm. I'm very, very much addicted to that game awesome. at the moment. It's yeah. so good. Um, so, yes, I need to put some bits up on there. Um, and, of course, if you want to follow the podcast, uh, you can also find us on Twitter as well, at Realm and Ruin. Um, so, yeah, that's been this episode. Uh, look forward to some of the things that we announced at the start, some of these uh, guests that are about to join us. And, as always, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next show. Bye. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.